to discuss copyright and, uh, you know, copyright issues for ba- from all perspectives of the industry. But what I'm going to do, firstly, is I'm going to introduce everyone and um, they're going to tell you a little bit about themselves and then I am going to, and Morgan is going to help me moderate. Morgan also uh, does a segment on the Melbourne show with me and he is going to help me moderate and we're going to, uh, you know, just have a fantastic time and when we do get into discussion, um, if everyone who's on the line wants to say their name before they speak, that would be awesome so we know who it's coming from. So now what I'm going to do is I'm going to go around everyone and I'm going to introduce you all and uh, if you can just tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. So I'm going to start with you, Rhonda, because you have been such an advocate for this. Uh, you know, I, I put the word out to you a few weeks ago and you're like, yes, I'm going to do it and um, I want you to, I I just like have so much amazing, uh, you know, respect for what you do. And I know through knowing you, I'm going to learn a whole lot. So Rhonda, if you want to introduce yourself to everyone and tell them a little bit about what you do. Okay. Hi, my name's Rhonda Badikian. My company's Heavy Harmony Music. I have Heavy Harmony Publishing and Heavy Harmony Library. What I do is I've been in the music business all of my life, and starting at Motown, I've worked for Virgin, Chrysalis, EMI Capital, um, Polygram, and Polygram and Virgin, I was head of publishing and finance for North America. When Richard sold the company in 92, I started my own company, and I represent writers from the estate of Skip Scarborough to uh, Ralph Johnson from Earth, Wind, and Fire. My writers have been sampled by Jay-Z, by uh, Keisha Cole. And on the other side, um, I co-manage Battle Cat, who he and Snoop have written songs in which they've sampled. So I've had to represent both sides on the sampling issue. I also teach a workshop at the L.A. Recording School and the L.A. Film School. Wow. So you are very, very qualified for copyright issues. We, I, I love that, Rhonda, and I'm so glad to be uh, connected with you because it's such amazing experience. Now, I'm going to jump to uh, another person with amazing experience, and I don't know if you all know Bobby Eli. I've got Bobby on the line. Bobby, are you there? Hello. Yes, I am uh, here. Hey. Now, Bobby, if you want to tell everyone a little bit about yourself and some of the you know, huge accomplishments, 
kids, but I have so so much respect for Bobby. He's just an amazing guy. So, Bobby, uh, you've got the floor. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, my name my name is Bobby Eli. Uh, born and raised in Philadelphia, PA. I'm a record producer, Grammy-winning songwriter. Uh, I was originally, I was part of the original lineup of MSSB, the studio band with Philadelphia International Records, out of which, uh, right after which I started producing. Uh, now I own a studio in the Philly Burbs called The Groove Yard, and um, my publishing company is called Friday's Child Music, and we published songs like Sideshow, Just Don't Want to Be Lonely, Love Won't Let Me Wait, and, you know, a lot of Blue Magic stuff, uh, you know, a lot of stuff, the list goes on. And now I am strictly a purveyor of old school. Um, I'm definitely in the midst of bringing um, real music back into the forefront, old school, which I really hate the term old school, but anyway, what people consider to be old school, so we... We're definitely uh, we're grooming we're grooming a lot of new artists uh, as well as getting ready to produce a new CD with a Manhattan transfer. Uh, we're going to do a CD of Philly classics mm-hmm. that's coming up in the first of the year. Mm-hmm. So I've got a lot of stuff I'm doing. Wow, that's that's amazing. And for everyone who doesn't know, Bobby mentioned uh, love one love one let love love one let me wait, and yeah. that was such a huge song. And you not only produced it, you wrote it too. So wrote you know, it and just, it, yeah. yeah. So just everyone, I don't know if you all know, but that was by uh, Major Harris, and what a phenomenal song. I'm sure. How many times has that been sampled? By the way, um, not so much sampled, but mm-hmm. it's been recorded. It's been recorded. Right. I mean, hundreds and hundreds of times right. uh, by any, everyone from Luther Vandross mm-hmm. on down. Mm-hmm. You know, Luther had a big hit of it as well. Right. And, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, and the list goes on. Jo- oh, uh, John Legend did it. Seal really? just recorded mm-hmm. it. Yeah, mm-hmm. Seal has it on his latest album. Wow. Called, I think it's called Soul 2. Mm. Uh, so, you know, so it goes, you know, it's a good thing. Yeah, well. I'm happy, we... to, be, I'm happy to be part of... Uh, the old school and the new school, as it, as it were. You know? Exactly. Yeah. Well, we all, we, we all, you know, have, uh, you know, much respect for you, Bobby. And, you know, oh, I, I, you I know, so I know Bobby personally. I've known you for a few years now. And, you know, yes. I have to say you're a very easygoing, phenomenal guy. You know, we have much love for you, you know, so. Oh, so. thank you. By the, <laughs> by the way, you know, uh, going back to the Manhattan transfer mm-hmm. for a minute, they are in Australia as we speak. Wow! There you right go. Right now, yeah. Last week they went down to Australia, really? and they're fini- they're finishing up a, a series of gigs down there. Then they're going to going to Japan f- from there. Wow! You know, before they come back, before they come back uh, to the states, hmm. they just have to. When I went, I'll, I'll talk to you offline. I have a few friends there. Maybe they can connect, but um, I'll talk to you offline about that. Now I'm going to move on to Hal Hankel. Hal, I just, Hal was my new buddy I met in LA. He made me laugh. He, I, I love him. He's like a, like, I, I, I love guitarists. I'm married to a guitarist. And Hal and his girlfriend, who I absolutely love too, Erin, they're both phenomenal guitarists. And Hal is just, wow. he's my buddy. So, Hal, do you want to tell people a little bit about yourself? And he, he just made me feel so relaxed. We had a few laughs and we knew a few people in common. So when we met in LA the other week, and I, I just love it, Hal. He's like my, he's my buddy, he's my brother. So, Hal, you want to uh, tell everyone a little bit about yourself? Yes, first I have to stop blushing, but of course you can't see that. <laughs> uh, I just want to say I feel very honored to be in the company of these individuals you brought to your program. Right. 
the level of the people around you is just amazing. I'm very humbled. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, a little bit about myself. Um, on a musical level, many of your listeners probably know me as the guitar player that played on many of the Death Row recordings in the 90s with Tupac Shakur and Snoop Dogg yeah. and many other artists on the label as well, including Danny Boy, mm-hmm. Jewel, Daz and Corrupt the Dog Pound. Uh, my signature guitar hook is on uh, both California Love and To Live and Die in L.A. are songs that feature some of my licks oh. on them. Beautiful. But I've been a studio musician for most of my adult life, um, and uh, currently I'm involved with a studio here in Los Angeles called Hollywood Way Studios, which is uh, a partnership I have with a guy named Dave Aaron, who's a live sound engineer and studio engineer for Snoop Lion. So we're, I'm still involved with the Death Row campus. We produce many, many artists there. I'm, I'm not only a guitar guru over there, I'm also an engineer, uh, in-house producer, uh, Battle Cat's actually been to our studio. I love that guy. We've been fishing wow. for him. I hope mean, uh, he's feeling better. He had a little health problem there a month or two ago. I see. Thank um, God he's recovering he, well. I'm glad to hear that. You make sure you send him my regards. I love that guy. Mm-hmm. Do they still work out of Can Am? They still work out of Can Am, the old Can Am studio? Yes, sir. Out of out of Dave's Divorce Place. There's many tracks there. We also worked at that Sound City, the famous Sound City Studios, and at Larrabee oh, West, and yeah, yeah. Uh, Ocean Way East West as well. Yeah. Right. Number, but, but the, the main majority of the work occurred at Canap Studios for the period of time from 1993 until 96 or so when Tupac died. And then I ended mm. my involvement with the label. Mm. Currently, uh, I just left the studio now. We've got H. Ryder and his crew out here from Las Vegas this week. And we have the Jam Band Moan coming in for a month, which should be quite interesting. And oh. so we have a pretty diverse amount of music and styling. I also have a rock band called The Flying Camels. We play regularly all over the West Coast here. And, uh, which uh, is how I met. At least uh, uh, we uh, put on this event called IES Festival at the beginning of this month, which stands for Independent Entertainment Summit. And it was all about creative marketing strategies for independent artists, mm-hmm. including publishing, uh, royalty payments, self-production, and uh, really taking advantage of the social media networks mm-hmm. by building what we call a thousand true fan base. Oh, what, yeah. It's very simple. And what this involves is finding a thousand fans who will spend $100 on your act or your film or your production, whatever you're doing, each year to create $100,000 in income, which is a comfortable living for most people. Hmm. Uh, and that would be for CD sales, concert attendance, buying merchandise, uh, and so on and so forth. So I'm reconstructing around this, this model right now, and I'm learning a great deal about, first of all, how much energy and how much talent there is around me in the city. Mm. It's an unbelievable talent pool I live in. I'm so, so amazed. Every week I'm finding more artists that want to work, that are willing to participate and have a leap of faith to come to our studio and put down the money that it costs to work with us. But when they do, invariably, and this doesn't matter if they're Joe Blow from the Corner Bar or Snoop Lion, they come back and say, you know, Harold, we had such a good time recording with you. It was so much fun. The food was great. It was a great experience. And we want to work with you again. You've made this easy for us. Mm. that's why I do what I do. When I see the happiness in the people's eyes, that they made their dream come true, mm. this is what yeah. I do. Mm-hmm. That's... And I still, still am very passionate about the guitar. I'm playing every day. I've got a gig mm. tonight down at the uh, St. Rock in Hermosa Beach with this fabulous guitar player uh, on the CD that I gave you, actually, um, called Steve Kimmock. He was in the uh, Grateful Dead after Jerry Garcia died. He was a lead wow. guitar player. We made an mm-hmm. acoustic duet CD together. So I'm doing that tonight. So anyway, that's where I'm at currently. We've got a great band at the studio, mm-hmm. fun gig tonight, and I'm looking forward to participating in your panel. 
Right. Now, I just want right. to I just want to touch base on that acoustic CD. Is that the one that you recorded in the wine vat? Because I, I know I was telling Herb about that, and it's like, how creative. You are very creative with your approach to guitar. Was that the one that you were you did in the wine vat, as I said? And if you just want to explain yes, that. And, yeah, yes, as a matter of fact, it was. Uh-huh. Well, what happened there was later just the wineries had a concert series in the summer, and one of the guys that worked there was an audiophile guy named Mark Lincecum and another fellow named John Wood, who was the sound man for the Grateful Dead. Mm-hmm. And they're both winemakers. And these are 25-foot-wide <laughs> by 75-foot-tall wow. metal vats that are used for fermentation. And they have a hatch on the top and a hatch on the bottom. So when they clean them out, they're empty. And what it creates is a spiral echo. And so we close mic the guitars and vocals and then hang a pair of Neumanns from the ceiling of the thing to capture the echo effect. And it created this tremendous echo. It reminded wow. me of the Paul Horn albums recorded at the pyramids and at the, uh, uh, what was the other one he did? Uh, oh, in the Taj Mahal. Mm-hmm. Using these sacred spaces to create the ambient echo. So there's no use of after market or after recording. It would be uh, reverberation or effects. It's the actual environment becomes the amplification and the acoustic reverb. It's a very pleasant record to listen to. Wow. Uh, you know, you know, wow. I am going to absolutely listen to that. I just thought that would blow Herb's mind, Bobby's mind, Morgan's mm-hmm. mind, whoever didn't know. That's like, <laughs> wow, I love that. So now I'm going to move over to Lorena, Lorena Major. She's my new sister. I met her in L.A., and I just really I love your energy, Lorena. So if you want to explain to everyone, I love what you do too. So if you want to explain to everyone what you do, and, uh, you know, we're all waiting. <laughs> well, thank you very much, and it's, it's an honor to be on a panel of this nature for sure. So thank you. Much, much love to everyone else on the call for sure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I am Lorena Major. I am a rock and roll historian and music business ambassador, as I brand myself. And my background is kind of interesting. I started in small market radio in Pennsylvania, moved to California, and did quite a long stint in music retail when that was still quite prominent. And I missed those days and the, the personal relationships that come from actual physical goods and the liner notes and all that kind of thing, and moved on to publishing of the variety where you actually make physical books. And after that, I, I nowadays I work in Los Angeles for a company that is a third-party choice to handle royalty payouts for digital streaming. So I work in a group of many people that make sure our creators get paid what our copyright royalty board in our government says they should get paid for all of the streams that happen on digital streaming services. And as we all know, those are not very high rates for a lot of people, even when the stream count is high. And along with that, my my real passion is the history of the music business and the the history of music, popular music, rock and roll, whatever big bucket we want to put it in, and the business that surrounds it. And my big strength and where I really light up is educating people about all of that as best as I can. So I love to talk about music history and the business that surrounds it. And I've literally spent years and years of my life and will continue to do that until the day that I die, reading everything I can get my hands on. I mean, I'm the kind of person with a book shelf that's full of rock and roll autobiographies and the history of Columbia Records. That's what floats my boat. Wow. And, and that's, that's why I call myself rock history gal, because I, mm-hmm. I, can, I love these kinds of conversations. And I love to, 
offer as much as I can, and especially when I can educate people and clarify mm. things, especially how mm. I've been in a lot of conversations lately, especially at IES and some other places where I'm mm. explaining which copyrights are in play when digital streaming happens. Mm. It's, mm. It's, it's, it's very complex, and it takes a lot of people to pay out a small amount of money. It's, it's quite amazing, but... But uh, I'm a rock history gal. Glad to be here. Thank you. Yes, and I, I'm just so glad, you know, to connect people. So everyone, you know, please connect. Now I'm going to move on to probably the person who was hardest for me to get on here, and that is Herb Smith. <laughs> Herb. <laughs> Being that Herb is, I don't know if you're all familiar, Rhonda, Hal, um, Bobby knows, of course, Lorena, but Herb is my husband and also, uh, you know, a guitarist. of. He, uh, he's a bit older than me, quite a bit older than me. <laughs> and, yeah, 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 you, you know, got, uh, got to maintain that, got to make sure, <laughs> you know, but Herb is a, um, has been a guitarist for most of his life and songwriter. So if Herb, if you want to just tell everyone a little bit about what you do and what you've done, some of your accomplishments, so they get an idea of where you, who you are and what you've done. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, how do I begin this thing? I've been in this music thing, man, since, well, actually since 14, but actually professionally since, I guess, around 2018, 19. Mm -hmm. And that started, I don't know if Bobby, Bobby knows this, I got my first gig with um, First Choice, Dan Watson's group. Oh, that's and, right. And, yes, I was, Norman, in fact, picked me as that guitar player. So Norman I, Harris. Mm -hmm. Norman Harris. He's another silly legend. You guys need to look Norman Harris up. Mm -hmm. Um. And so I ran with them for about four or five years and then, you know, faded out of that. And I ended up with another awesome Philadelphia producer named Dexter Wanzel. He had records out in the late 70s. Um, and he was a producer for Kenny Gamble. So I was his guitar player. And through him, I was he was a conduit for taking a lot of songs. He was so open and generous. And he would listen and, you know, play songs out there for me, you know. And uh, so I got some songs out on the Philadelphia International label. I got the chance to have two songs on Patti LaBelle and then MFSB and the Jones Girls, one song called That Peace With Woman. I had a song that went number 10 R&B back in 83. That didn't come out of Philly. It came out of um, the New York stable because Kay Williams connected me up there. And that was called This Is For The Very Best New on a group called Change. Oh yeah. Then I, yeah, Luther, yeah. I had, um, Luther's band. Luther's band was changed. Just Luther, after Luther left, mm -hmm. yeah, the band that Luther was in when he was, you know, first becoming prominent as a mm -hmm. singer. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so things happened. Were starting to happen on the songwriting tip. And Philly, I, I, Bobby knows. I just, I'm so I'm the realest person in the world. I don't see myself as great with the contact business thing, right? No. So Philly started kind of fading out of the scene in terms of the music scene. Mm -hmm. And me, I'm a, I'm a very good guitar player, so I was offered the Patti LaBelle gig. At first, when I was offered, I declined it. And then um, the manager who managed Patti managed Dexter, and he came back to me six months later and said, do you still want it? Because he knew my pockets were going to be different. So I took <laughs> it, and then I ended up having a 20-year stint with Patti. Mm -hmm. Patti was awesome. Um she, I rode the ride with her through the 80s and 90s. She had the um, deal with MCA, and I was her sideman guitar. Hey, I'm still writing. That, that goes on. <laughs> I'm writing for my daughter now. And so it's, uh, it, you know, when you're a musician, the passion drives you anyway. So the, the, the act of being a writer continues. Mm -hmm. It never stops.
it, and I love my music, and I've been so fortunate. I met my wife in Australia, and I have a wonderful daughter who's a pain in my butt sometimes, but she's <laughs> awesome. And, and that's definitely what's going okay. on. And okay. I'm and so just... honored to be involved in this. And I'm so proud of Elisa and her accomplishments, which, which she's doing, and I really I wanted to kind of uh, interject that because she needs to – know that she's amazing at what she's, you well, she's putting you. together. And I just wanted to... I just wanted to mention that um, Herb also has had a uh, few songs that have been sampled, including a yeah, song he wrote, uh, wrote, he wrote on uh, Dexter Wanzell that was called New Beginnings that was sampled by P. Diddy's uh, label uh, that was Money, Power, Respect. So Herb... The Little, uh, Kim, Little Kim in the Locks was a big yeah, hit yeah, in 98. Yeah. And it sold a million records. Told me I have a hip-hop class. Mm-hmm. I made some nice money on it. Okay. But, so, um, okay. Yeah. yeah. So, so, and Herb, then I'm going to... Do you have anything to do with Knights Over Egypt? Are you a What's writer? Knights Over Egypt. Are you a full writer on that? I, no, I didn't co-write that. Um, I had joined Patty at that point. When he put that one together, that was I wasn't involved in that song. I mm. did. Um, I'm doing that. I'm doing it on the on the transfer. Mm. Oh wow! One of the song, one of the that's, songs oh, that's right gonna be nice. Mm-hmm. Now, Juan is badass. Well, I love him so much. I had um, a song on on that was on MFSB that Kenny Gamble wrote lyrics to that became one of the Jones Girls. It was a featured mm-hmm. song. It's called At Peace with Woman. At least a lot Oh, yeah. That that's a, yeah, I know that song. It's great. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's my song, the music. I, I wrote that with uh, Joel, Joel Bryant. And Kenny Bryant. Gamble. Wow, yeah. I love it. So yeah. now, and I'm going to move on to Morgan before we get into the copyright discussion. So, mm-hmm. Morgan, um, if you want to tell everyone a little bit about yourself, and most people know you because, who are listening into the show, but the other panelists do not. So if you want to explain what you do, and then we'll get into the copyright discussion. So, mm-hmm. Absolutely. I'll keep it very short so that we can get on um, mm-hmm. with the discussion. Okay, great. Um, I'm Morgan. I've got a company, uh, Drink Up The Music Incorporated. Uh, we're an artist management and development firm. Uh, we work with independent artists as well as working with um, some record labels and, uh, on a um, consultant basis. Um, we deal with developing artists. Uh, we also deal with uh, music videos, uh, coaching, um, basically the whole gamut of uh, of uh, being an independent artist. Mm-hmm. Um, we also have a publishing arm of the company, and uh, that's about it for right now. Okay, mm-hmm. and you all know me, Elisa. <laughs> I think everyone knows me. You know me. I'm like a, you know, mother, doctoral candidate, MBA, singer, songwriter, uh, radio host, and uh, you know, project manager, and whatever else. I uh, multitasker. You know, <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so that's that's what I do. You go. multitasker and I like to have fun and I'm enjoying this panel already so let's get down into the copyright and what I want to start off with is um, I want to bring up what actually um, prompted me to put this panel together and that was the all the discussion and controversy over um, the Robin Thicke song um, and Marvin Gaye. And there was a lot of contention about that. And I wanted to know, you know, people who are more expert, and me, myself, I think that 
it is so similar, <laughs> so similar. Um, not only just the beat, but a whole lot of things. But I'm not, I want the experts to give me their opinion, or you know, rather than just myself. So I'm going to start with Rhonda. Rhonda, what is your opinion um, and I want everyone to have different opinions so we don't have to agree as long as we respect everyone to be different <laughs> you know that is fine so so Rhonda um, what is your opinion on that whole uh, issue with regards to whether he has infringed on copyright or not okay first off um, let me preface this by saying I am not a musician or a musicologist mm -hmm. so I'm just going by my ear, and I've had, I mean, everybody is discussing this um, mm -hmm. right now, but I have to say, when you... Sorry about everyone, I just had another call oh. coming in, and I uh, accidentally put everyone on hold. Sorry about that. <laughs> and, you know, they, I'm not, I have to do everything here, you have to understand, I'm the tech person, the host, the everything, so... <laughs> no, so that, that was Robin's attorney blocking the call. That's right. <laughs> 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 So, so I, you know, I'm not the. I, I, I do what I can with the tape. <laughs> even so, the title, even so, the title of the song, "Blurred Lines," mm. sounds like a joke. You know, sounds like oh, we'll call it "Blurred Lines" and see what people think because the whole wow. thing is kind of blurred lines. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You wow. know, whole, but 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 you know, I just think it. it like I say, it could be a publicity stunt mm. to drum up sales, mm. just like just like it was with uh, Miley Cyrus's so-called. Twerking, you know, I think, <laughs> I don't know, ever since she twerked, her sales went up like 400%. Yeah, they did. Yeah. They, <laughs> they did. She was, the, she got more news than anything else, so she got what she wanted. No. The, but, but Controversy has always helped push records. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> Absolutely. But, but, yeah, I... but Marvin, you know, I think that if, if it is real, um, I think that, that EMI and Motown and all that mm -hmm. side is going to win. Mm -hmm. But I, I, the more I think about it, I still think it's a publicity gimmick to drum up sales. Right. Uh, you know yeah. what I think? My my point of view, and I I'm not a, a you know expert on this by any means, but my point of view, just being a marketer, because I mm -hmm. that I am doing my doctorate. In and in business, I'm doing my DBA and I'm writing my dissertation, and I will have I will be Dr. Melbadelphia soon enough. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and right, and yeah. what I'm going to do, what what I, my marketing head tells me is that they're trying to sway because everyone who becomes a jury or who is a part of this world is open to the media and marketing. And what they're trying to do by setting this up, they keep on putting out the word genre. And so what they're trying to do, my marketing mind is saying, is they're trying to sway public opinion to think that it's about genre. And they're throwing out this word, and it's not about genre. I haven't heard of genre being so similar. But that's my marketing sensibility is telling me that that is what they're doing absolutely a tactic and that they're trying to sway public opinion because if it goes yep. to court, is, that's what I'm thinking. Mm -hmm. This is this is Morgan. Um, and yes, that's exactly what Robbins um, suit is saying, is that mm -hmm. the gay family, um, or that they may uh, try to claim copyright infringement, they can't because mm -hmm. um, they, they're saying that their song is copying, uh, is not copying, but emulating the feel of um, Marvin Gaye's 
song and the feel and the sound, and mm-hmm. so therefore um, they're claiming that the gay state is going to try to claim infringement on a genre which is not possible. Mm-hmm. To me, it's poppycock, utter nonsense, yeah. um, right. and the, the very fact that they have already offered the gay family a six-figure sum that has been turned down shows me that you know exactly what you've done. Mm-hmm. 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 Absolutely. Yeah, I'm the admission of guilt. Mm-hmm. And, uh, can I, this is Rhonda. May I ask, does the, um, I haven't uh, spoken to anybody out of the Motown camp, which mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to see some people next week, but does the um, does Marvin Third actually have his own attorney? Because I get awfully worried when you've just got, you know, you've got Sony on representing Pharrell and Sony representing the the gay family and or you know marvin's copyright and then all i'm sick i mean sorry robin sick he controls his own publishing Mm. so sony here is you know a real wild card i think um i'm hoping that you know either anna you know whoever owns the you know marvin's uh inheritance whether it's marvin the third or anna that they have their own outside attorney outside of I family. Believe, I, be, I believe it is an outside attorney. It's somebody that's affiliated with the family um, and has been dealing with the estate from what I, I have seen on, on the TV press conferences. Mm-hmm. Um, I and of believe, course, I, I wouldn't believe. be surprised I wouldn't be surprised if Mr. Gordy's giving them direction as well. Mm. <laughs> mm. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, I, don't, I don't believe it's a label attorney. Right. Well, I mean, this is this brings to mind something I've heard mm-hmm. many times over in the music business. Steal from the best. Marvin Gaye was truly a legend. Oh, Robin Thicke is a hack and a newcomer and, a, and basically a wannabe who had a right. famous daddy and got into show business. But basically, he stole the entire template of that particular song. And I was thinking in my head while I was listening to the other people speak, it reminds me very much of how I felt when I heard Sisters by John Mayer. And again, deriving directly from Sexual Healing by Marvin Gaye. Mm-hmm. And the only difference oh. really being, it's a bit of a jangly guitar bit but, and different lyrics, but essentially the same song structure itself. And it gets into very murky water. But again, hugely influenced, if not directly lifted from Marvin Gaye. And uh, plagiarism is the highest form of flattery. The, the difference is that these people have millions of dollars and attorneys behind them to back up their stealing. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And personally, frankly, I consider both of them hacks. But that's one man's opinion. Wow. Wow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, Lorena, what about your opinion about all of this? Oh, I've got lots to say about it, as you could expect. Mm-hmm. Um, I am definitely like most other people who definitely admit that the first time I heard it, heard Blurred Lines, which was back in March when it was released, mm-hmm. was, whoa, this, this reminds me of God's Give It Up, especially that honking cowbell, you know, and the, the whole percussive elements and the whole sonic structure of it. But at the time, I wasn't really thinking copyright infringement. I was thinking, you know, that concept of copyright laws protects the expression of ideas, but as we know, it does not express the ideas themselves, which is why you can copyright Star Trek into darkness, but not the concept of movie that action adventure movie that occurs in space right so in mm-hmm. as the controversy surrounding this song drifted from the lyrical content and the content of its video to now the copyright infringement it really led me to to go back and look and think about some 
specific cases that have always resonated with me and why they turned out the way they did mm-hmm. and how I think about my decision as to whether or not I say it's infringement or not. And one of the first things that comes to mind is the George Harrison case, My Sweet Lord versus He's So Fine by the Chiffons, which was uh-huh. decided as, mm-hmm. as um, unconscious plagiarism, as in you, you may not have realized you were plagiarizing this work, but they are so similar, and here is why. I mean, even the, the court uh, filings mm-hmm. from that, Bright Queen's Music for Terror Song, dated 76, the court actually stated, and I quote, his subconscious knew it already had worked in the song his conscious did not remember. That is, under the law, infringement of copyright, and is no less so, even though subconsciously accomplished. Hmm. Now, I go back, I, I looked, before mashups became cool, I would do a personal mashup check in my head to try to see if things fit. And an example is, you know, you can literally sing, my sweet love, do lang, do lang, do lang. And and, mm-hmm. and keep going, and I really want to see you, lang, 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 And you can do research on that case, and you can actually find documentation that shows motif A and motif B and how the court actually determined mm-hmm. their answer. I tried to do mm-hmm. that with the melodies of blurred lines and got to give it up. They, they mash up really well as overall sonic recordings, but the melodies are a little wonky in that Blurred Lines was released in the key of G major. Got to Give It Up was released in the key of A major. Mm-hmm. Granted, not too far away from each other on the circle of fifths, but just a little bit far enough away that eh, they, they kind of sound okay on top of each other, but it's not the same quite mesh that you have with the George Harrison case or even the Michael Bolton versus the Isley Brothers case, whereas the only real element in that song was the chorus, the title. Love is a wonderful thing. You put them both side by side, and they sounded very similar. So it made sense that a judge ruled the way that they did, right? Now, in Mm -hmm. this case, I think there is absolutely no doubt that – and Robin Thicke and Company have even admitted it's my favorite song ever. We were trying to evoke this era, et cetera, et cetera. Now, of all of the articles that I have read about this, and we have to remember that um, we talked a little bit earlier about uh, EMI Music Publishing does indeed own the whole thing. It is a split between three children. I looked it up, and as we, we talked a little bit earlier, EMI Music Publishing is now controlled by a consortium that is led by Sony ATV. So basically, and yes, the lawyer is a private lawyer, and I found even in our work database that uh, you know, you're recommended to call the DC office of EMI. To, to go further and contact any of the three children in their respective companies. So, of all the articles that I have read about this, uh, the Forbes article by Oliver Hertzfeld really summed it up the best for me in what I think might happen here. He talked about that concept of, well, a little I'll quote from his article. He says, the key question of the lawsuit is, could the composers be held liable for copyright infringement if they were influenced and inspired by Marvin Gaye's and Funkadelic's prior works, and I don't think the Funkadelic song even comes into play here, and I'll tell you why in a second, mm-hmm. but did not actually sample such prior works or otherwise literally copy any of Marvin Gaye's or Funkadelic's music or lyrics. And then he says, surprisingly, the answer is it depends. And so mm-hmm. then there's the two-prong test that's pretty standard in a court determining you know, is there any copying going on, you know, actual copying of the sound recording itself, 
which nowadays is a sample, any straight listing of melodic lines, lyrics, that kind of thing. And then there is where I think this case is going to hinge, which is the concept of substantial similarity. It's already been admitted, which under the copyright law, copying itself can be proven either by direct evidence, which could be a party's admission, or circumstantial evidence. So I think that when this case, assuming this case goes to in front of a judge, because a nine-figure offer, what's that? It could start with a one, it could start with a nine. You mm -hmm. do the math on the royalties, you look up what Lord Lyons has done thus far, encompassing the entire world thus far, just mechanicals has been 10 million units. $900,000 would just cover that. Mm. And, and that's covering three writers right now. Hmm. And, and assuming it's a 50-50 cut split, right? So we're, we're not even talking about public performance rights and everything else that's, that's coming out of this. So I can totally understand why Marvin Gaye's heirs have declined that offer. Now, the preemptive strike kind of confused me a bit because I wouldn't say confused me, but it was, I, I didn't really think that was the best move on Robin Thicke's part. Um, somebody earlier on the call said, wow, I would do that unless you really have, unless it's sunk in what you've really done, right? Um, I, I really truly think this going on that concept of being influenced and, and inspired by, I would like to see with the technology that we've got now, coincidentally, actually, both masters are owned by Universal, right? Mm -hmm. It would be cool to see the judge in this case, assuming it's going that far, to ask Universal to turn over copies of the masters for use by the court so they can literally be examined side by side and, and actually do that there. Um, and, and, actually, and I'm not just talking, let's play the entire finished sound recording, let's use the technology we have to go even further, kind of like as the, uh, you know, the technology for sports allows even better replays and, and how they look at that. Let's actually sit there and, and have a, an expert audio engineer mm. sit and bring in track by track and let's take a look at these elements and things like that, along with sheet music and things, yeah. and, and really, really, really go down the rabbit hole. Um, because I think precedents... I think the precedent can be set with this case as far as the how you create a new piece of intellectual property, but admittedly, in this case, admittedly, in the George Harrison case, not admittedly, and that was, the George Harrison case was a little different in that it was very, very melodically similar, and here we are mm. completely sonically similar to the first recording, but I think the precedent can be set because there are things where nobody's, Blinks an eye, and John Mayer's Waiting on the World to Change was a great example of that. I still listen to that song and sing People Get Ready on top of it until the lyrics come in, because that's the first thing I thought of, and Curtis Mayfield the state didn't make a piece, and I think mm. maybe one or fewer might have been one of the people from Rolling Stone actually mentioned, oh, it's both Mayfield People Get Ready, and I'm sitting there going, yeah, hello. And, hmm. and nothing happens. And, of course, statute of limitations is way done because that was what I was six. So we've, we've got things like this that happen all the time, whether they are uh, subconscious or not. But mm -hmm. I think that's what's going to happen here. This, this could be a big precedent for how this kind of thing plays out in the future. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, well, something you say nothing happened. You have no idea what happened behind the scenes. Because I have been, when I've 
been with majors have been on uh, the back end of many, many, many non-public lawsuits where mm-hmm. the lawyers have settled it out and nothing has changed to the public. But on the right. back end, you that's don't true. know that mayor didn't pay something. Mm. That's, that's true, yeah. Just because we didn't see an article on Billboard that says this was settled for an undisclosed sum, yeah, it doesn't mean that some phones didn't ring. Correct. Yeah, very good. True. Hmm. That's interesting. I um, just want to introduce you to Gloria uh, Esau. She has just joined the call. Uh, if Gloria wants to introduce herself, Gloria, are you there? Hi, my name is Gloria Esau. Um, I am production coordinator for Gems and Pearls Production. Um, I work with a lot of music artists as far as the Funkadellas, George Clinton. And what's your take on this whole uh, Robin Thicke debacle and anything related? Mm-hmm. Well, again, it's, it, it's a very blurred line, as the song says, as to what creates original <laughs> content and what creates intellectual property. I think that's what our real discussion is about here today. And if this precedent does clear, that, that's going to open the way for a lot of artists to go beyond the realm of just sampling it to directly ripping off stuff. This mm-hmm. is, this is a, no new issue in the music industry, by the way. This has been going on since day one. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Rolling Stones made a career out of imitating old blues guys. But mm-hmm. they did yep. pay up the publishing and the royalty out of respect to the chess artists whom they borrowed from. So, again, on a personal level, I don't have a problem with it. On an intellectual and copyright level, there's a distinct problem here. Um, and, again, it's up to the buying public to understand and discern what is good music with good content and what's just a ripoff. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Uh, also, one, one more thing. I'm a personal friend of Marvin Gaye III, and the family's pretty upset about all this. They, mm-hmm. they felt very humiliated about the fact that they offered him such a pittance of, of money mm-hmm. when the artist himself is going to walk out with at least 10 times that much money, Ugh. if not 20 times. It's ridiculous. It's insulting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, as a performing him. artist and songwriter myself, and having been really cut my teeth in the studios doing hip-hop records, I understand the issues with sampling from a really profound level. It's a cultural thing. It's, it's uh, uh, an opportunity for musicians that don't have the studio skills that I have to create something that's meaningful, mm-hmm. and it relates to a music that they really like. Otherwise, they wouldn't sample it in the first place. Mm-hmm. But this is another yeah, realm. What we're talking about is direct lift of the entire recording process to recreate the same as that version. For example, like what occurs in co- countries that don't have American copyright laws. Can I interject? Um, this is Herb, real quick. The, the phrase is a cultural thing. When hip hop artists go and basically sample somebody else's music, and you just mm-hmm. said because they might have the, the creative will mm-hmm. or ability to um, put their own thing together. I'm, I'm not. I'm not knocking what hip hop has done because mm-hmm. hip hop artists made an awesome contribution. But but I think that that right there, the whole cultural thing, is where like an artist like an um, the thick guy will go in the studio, and feel like he is being cultural, to go back in time, and lift the record from back in the day and put it down. This is part of their culture, mm-hmm. and it to them it's a legitimate way of doing things. Mm-hmm. I do hope that this lawsuit goes down, and definitely in favor of Marvin Gaye's estate. And I do hope that the younger musicians get a chance to understand, you know what, the whole cultural thing that we do is really being lack of creative. I absolutely agree. It's it's a lack of creativity. Hmm. And so um, it's sad. It's just sad. And um, 
It's said that they have this made this with phrases like you just said made it legitimate mm-hmm. in their minds yeah, of the right. process of making a record. And um, it's just, not, I hope that something can be done about it. Wow. And what, I mean, one more question. How do you define copyright? Because I always thought that copyright was melody and chord changes and rhythms. And if you exceeded four bars of somebody else's thing, if it was and identical. Lyrics. Melody and lyrics. lyrics. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> lyrics, well, uh, melody, lyrics, and chord changes. And there the is rhythms. no four-bar rule. There's your music and lyrics and there's your sound recording. And that's why I mentioned earlier that we, uh, we haven't heard anything specifically from Universal, who happens to own both sound recordings in this case. And it, it's mostly been focused on the owners of the music and lyrics, a.k.a. the publishing. Hmm. Um, and one question, if the host doesn't mind, that I would actually like to throw out to the panel is most of the cases that I've mentioned and, and most of the other big ones have resulted in a settlement where mm-hmm. a monetary settlement was paid, but no change in assignment of copyright has occurred. And I looked up the split, the current split on blurred lines. Um, it is not an even split. I can tell you that, but I can't tell you what it is. Um, the, because that's not listed on the ASCAP database. That's why. But I have access right. to a proprietary one that tells me what the split is because we have to pay people. Wow. So I'm, I'm Stopping with what's publicly available for the moment. Um, what what would the panel think would be right, fair, whatever kind of word you want to put in here? And well, it, it, the I, outcome of this case, do you want to see a, a huge one-time payment that satisfies Marvin Bears, or whatever that is, right? Because what kind of justice, you know, you, that's always debatable. Or do you want to see a payment plus a change in copyright assignment, and what kind of a split would you recommend if so? I think that Marvin should get 100% of the copyright. When you infringe without asking, Mm, through you. you. Right, right. I I absolutely agree because they just went and they didn't show any respect. It was like a lack of respect. That's what it is. I think it's a lack of respect. I would kind of, I hate to, this is her again, I kind of would challenge that. I think that Robin Thicke and those cats came up with lyrical content that was theirs. You might not feel it's as good as, but there are elements of creativity going on on that level. Right. That is unique that to doesn't them. matter. However, that doesn't matter. If you, have co- if you have infringed mm-hmm. upon the music, then you have infringed on the r- original copyright, and you have no right whatsoever to anything. Right. Let me ask you a question, guys. Me and my wife talk about this. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a friend, and Bobby knows him here in Philly, um, bass player, Jimmy Williams. Jimmy, and you know Stephanie's, him, right? li- uh, Stephanie's listening in. His wife, Stephanie, who's a good friend of mine. Right, Steph. Hey, Steph. <laughs> she's she's listening in tonight. Uh-huh. Okay, hey, Stephanie, I want to bring this up because the song Ain't No Stopping Us Now, mm-hmm. from right. my understanding, now we're all musicians. Jimmy was one of the session players at Philly. Mm-hmm. He played on um, Love TKO and a lot of different things out of Philadelphia in the late seven, mid to late 70s. Um, and he's the guy, I understand, who created that bass line for Ain't No Stopping Us Now. Mm-hmm. Now, the, the the owners of the writers were, what, McFadden and Whitehead. Am I right, Bobby? And um, It was McFadden and Whitehead. Yes, McFadden and Whitehead, mm-hmm. period, yes. 
Well, oh, no, Mathad, no, Mathad Whitehead and Jerry, Jerry Cohen. Jerry Cohen, yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, if the Robin Thicke thing goes down like this, a lot of, for me, what the similarities between the two songs has to do with what the keyboard player is doing and what the bass player is doing on, that, on both of those records. And Ain't No Stopping Us Now, the, the, bass, the bass line was very... Integral to the song, the same thing. The same thing. Yeah, the same thing for, for the love of money. Similar situation. Anthony Jackson yeah. came up with the baseline for the love of money, and he had the baseline before anything, and gave it to Gamble enough that got his baseline. Can you write something to it? So, the, the, for the love of money, would, wouldn't even be the same song without the baseline. Same thing with "Ain't No Stopping Us Now." That. Jimmy Williams should have gotten mm. a, a major purport, a major portion of the song because that bass line is very identifiable. Exactly. Just uh, like, mm-hmm. you know, just like My Girl or there's certain elements mm-hmm. in songs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's certain, yeah. certain elements in songs mm-hmm. that were parts of the arrangement are, in, it are indigenous to the song. People wouldn't know the song without that element. Mm. You know, so ain't no stopping us now, especially, mm. uh, which is very, very, yeah, very similar to the reason that uh, for love of money was what it was because mm. of the baseline. Yeah, but the right law doesn't doesn't identify that. Mm. I know, unfortunately, no, because people did it as work for hires as well. Mm. Look at Clyde Stubblefield, funky drummer. Mm. That's been sampled and sampled. Clyde never yes. got anything from that right. because it was a work for hire. The Funk Brothers, Brother by the Winstons, which was a year before, which is also mm-hmm. considered to be one of the most sampled drum loops of all time. How, mm-hmm. how do we go back and, and look at these things and, and requantify them if, if so? But yeah, you can't. Uh, it's a work for hire. hire. That was the law. They followed the law. Mm-hmm. You know, it was done as a work for hire. Mm-hmm. I want to inject, interject one thing. Bobby will really love this. Our my man Earl Young from Philadelphia created the the straight drum beat with the quarter note bass drum. Am yes, I right, did. Bobby? Yes, you did. Okay, that that beat is everywhere. It's still everywhere. Katy Perry, so if you you're say. gonna make Jimmy, and I would love to see Jimmy become a writer, then that means Earl Young should be a writer on all mm-hmm. those Katy Perry records. Mm-hmm. But that's not going to wow. happen. Is it? No, you see. The, the thing is, a drum groove is not a melodic element. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, right. it's you know, I mean, it's it's it's, it's not it's it's not melodic. However, the situation with the bass, it is melodic. It is melodic. Yeah, the drum, the bass line is the bass line is melodic and, mm. and identifiable more than. It's, it's kind of a tough one with, with, the, with the drum groove, you know. But that, the chord also becomes part of the sound recording, which is another copyright thing to yeah. play. Yeah. Yes. How many people have seen, heard the uh, the roots on Jimmy Fallon and with Rod and Thicke where they did blurred lines with the classroom instruments? There's really breaking that <laughs> song down to its basic structure. And, and yeah, yes, I saw you that, can yeah. sing Got to Give It Up on top of that. You know, that they did. Mm-hmm. I didn't see that. I would love to see that. Now, now, I just wanted to um, just take a quick break and let you all know that we now have Daryl Williams, who's a big mentor of mine and has a, 
allowed me to have this platform. I have this platform because of Daryl Williams, who's a phenomenal mentor of mine, also big advocate for independent artists. So I want you all to say hello to Daryl Williams. Daryl, if you want to hey, tell Darryl, everyone about how you yourself. Doing, mm-hmm. Hey, Daryl. I'm, I'm, doing, I'm doing well. How's everybody doing? Everybody's good. Mm-hmm. Good, good. And, and and I really feel out of my league here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, but I was enjoying the conversation so much. You know, I just had to call in. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I just want to say I, I like to try to encourage you all. Um, I know everyone's, uh, you know, schedules are, are fairly busy, um, but the information that you all are sharing is so critical at this time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, hopefully this, this isn't a one-off panel, mm. uh, but, it you know, it could uh, become something, um, you know, that's kind of ongoing. Definitely. Um, because there's a lot of valuable information. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if I might chime in about the, the, the copyright aspect with Robin Thicke for, for a minute. Um, though I'm not a writer, um, I, I kind of come from a musical background. And one, one of the things that happened um, with, with my brother, um, who was with the group Breakwater, is there was a song that they did that, uh, called Release the Beast, uh, which was on one of their albums. Uh, there was a group by the name of Daft Punk. Um, who, right. Who, who later contacted my brother, they wanted to sample that song, which they turned into what they call Robot Rock, uh, which was in the Superman 2 movie. Um, Well, they did a little more than sample the song. They just really took the whole song, and I think they may have added like a guitar riff or something, and they called it like a whole other song. Mm -hmm. Um, And so fortunately, my brother did, you know, have his, his paperwork in order, but it's kind of still an ongoing issue now um, with my family um, who is handling his estate. So this copyright issue is is a really important issue for people to understand. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and I, I wanted to um, make a point. And I wanted to, uh, you know, if you all, and I, I also wanted to have Gloria um, say something before I make my point. Gloria, if you have an opinion on, um, if you want to introduce, well, you introduced yourself before, but if you have something that you want to say about this, please feel welcome right now. And then I, I've got something I want to say. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, I definitely agree. I do believe that Marvin Gaye should 100% credit. So what happened between Robin Thicke and the whole thing, I do believe they just they disregarded him. They didn't mm-hmm. give him his rights. They didn't give him credit, and it was really ridiculous. Mm-hmm. It, it, I mean, right. <laughs> you got to be real. You just have to be real. You have to give credit where credit is due. Mm-hmm. I mean, how far do you go? Mm-hmm. And then you take the credibility. You're not creative. I mean, it, it gets out of hand. At some point, you know. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. So now, now what what I want to say, and if um, I know that some of you might have some experience or have some knowledge in in how you can answer this, because I'm not sure. But um, going back to the people like Jimmy Williams and uh, Earl Young, though you said Earl was the drummer, so that might not be as contentious. But say Jimmy Williams, who wrote who wrote the bass line and is the husband of a friend of mine, Stephanie. Um, what we said that yes, they were a work for hire, but my contention with a musician being a work for hire is um, 
their musicians are often pulled into the studio and they you know they want to work on the albums but they they a lot of the time they're giving their best creativity and if they've given their best creativity and created something more than accepted like more than just what you're told to do you're not you're creating something so i mean you know, but they're over a barrel because if they say they're not going to do the session, they're going to be someone else is going to be hired. Um, how shouldn't there, if it's an integral part of a song, and I'm not just saying any baseline, I'm saying something that is so creative and original, like Jimmy Williams did with Ain't No Stopping Us Now, <laughs> shouldn't there be some type of recourse that a musician can take to change that and give up the work for hire and request? Can there be, is there any movement towards a law that could do something about that? Because we know the musicians are over a barrel. They're not even going to be included if they demand that. So, you know, so it's not sort of fair. <laughs> Let me say one thing, because I'm one of the musicians who's done this. I'm just Herb again. Um, there's no way to define who did what in the studio on a record 50 years old. Because even if Jimmy Williams, although I do believe he created that bass line. Yeah, here's, I'll tell you, I was there. I'll oh. tell you exactly you what happened. See, there it is. Then now I was you there. Here's, here's there. the deal. When we went in the studio that day to record that song, there was no bass line. Um, Jerry, Jerry Cohen and them passed out a chord sheet. Everybody got the same chord sheet. Just chords, mm -hmm. no figures, no nothing. We're just running down the chords. Um, Whitehead was Whitehead was dancing around the studio with a big <laughs> smile on his face, just kind of just kind of grooving. And and uh, Jimmy Williams just said, "Hey man, I got this idea. Check this out. You think this will work?" So he, I saw, I was right there. He there came up is. with the bass. On, nobody told him to play it. He was there messing around with a couple so, ideas, and he started playing, you know, he made it up. Wow. Jimmy, got, Jimmy has the case. So, as if his wife was listening, you got a witness. So long as it's I am a witness. You've got a while. witness, Bobby Eli, and he is a brilliant witness because everyone knows witness, Bobby. I'm a witness, and I'm, I'm, I'm not a Jehovah's Witness. I'm a regular witness. <laughs> You know, but, but uh, I, unfortunately, though, mm. you know, the, the contract supersedes mm. Um, mm. the stuff, and you're, you're never going to be able to substantiate that or go back in court. And the problem is, is that it's getting worse. If you look at um, these contests online, there's one right now called the Ultimate Video Search. That is something to do with uh, YouTube and, and some other entities. And I read just read the contract. And even if you don't get picked as an entry, they own everything. Oh, my God. They own everything. It's ridiculous. It's getting worse instead of better. Oh. I mean, we have a mechanical rate, but yet every artist has a control composition clause that takes that away from him. Your contract always supersedes. Watch on Netflix. There's a thing called Copyright Criminals. I don't know if any of you have seen that movie, mm -hmm. but it's very interesting. Mm. Um, Copyright you know, that, Criminals. That discuss, wow. 
Yeah, it's on Netflix. I just checked, and it's still there. I'm going to check it out. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. me too. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and can I say as well, by way of kind of a similar situation or maybe somewhat of a little bit of a contrast, mm-hmm. um, if you think back in the day, there were people like Paul Simon who were employed by the record labels, um, actually a nine-to-five job, and they were required to go in and between the hours of nine and five, write songs and hand them over to the label pretty much like a work for hire. Um, And, you know, these these were songs that that went on to become hits, and these songwriters even were not even given credit. Really? Yes. Now, which songs were they? That's how how Paul Simon in particular got his um, start in the business. He was employed as a songwriter by a label. I forget which label it was now, Um, but that's how he was employed. Wow. You know yeah, that, that, that's known as the real building model of songwriting. Hold it. Let me, yeah, let me moderate here. If someone wants to talk, say their name. Let's do it one at a time. <laughs> okay, first person, one person. If you want to speak up, say your name. Bobby Lai. Okay, Bobby. Since we're on the baseline tip, uh, one more, uh, two, two things. Uh, another Jimmy Williams moment. The song Love TKO. Right? Mm-hmm. There was no baseline. Jimmy Williams Damn. came up with the baseline on the spot in on that on that mm. session. Here's another one, classic. Uh, Bad luck. The Hal Melvin, the Blue Notes, right? Doon do doon do doon do doon doon do do do. Ronnie Baker came up. That that baseline was part of the intro. There was no baseline when Gamble and Huff, when Leon Huff counted counted the song out. Ronnie just came up. That was actually ahead of the actual music and he just made it up as part of the he was just doodling on the intro that bass line was an integral part of bad luck because he wouldn't even know the song without the that that bass that's right ronnie, right ronnie baker therefore should get a piece of the song because that's another integral right. uh, uh part you know so In- and the list goes on i mean the list goes on man the love i lost the love i lost Really? The guitar, yeah, the guitar part. That was me doing that that little that intro at the beginning. And what happened on that song? It was a ballad. When Leon Huff and and Kenny Gamble brought the song in to record, it was a ballad in six eight time, kind of like like it was for the Dells. It was kind of like oh what a night, like the love I love. Wow. And then yeah yeah yeah. And Leon, you know, Leon was was. Was smoking his reefer and everything, and he said, "Man, no, no, man, that, no, that ain't it, that ain't it." Earl, Earl, put it right here, four on the floor, put it right here. Two, a one, two, three, ding, ding, ding. The figure just came, just came out of the blue. No one, no wow. one said to play it. Mm. So there you go, man. This kind of stuff yeah. gets me hype. This this stuff gets me hype, man. Wow, and I love this conversation. Now, who else wanted to say something? Because we had a few. Who's the next person? Go say ahead, your name. On. Hello? I guess I'll say interject some. I agree with Bobby with that. It's um, I have a song that I did. It's a classic stylistic song now, kind of. Uh, Dexter Wanzel, hurry, hurry up this way again. Yep. And I came up with that guitar line. Um, yep. And so, I mean, so for me, I have, like, a, a guitar line out there that people are playing. It's been covered, and I've seen, like, some smooth jazz cats take this thing, <sighs> and they're doing it and interpreting it. I don't have um, credit as a songwriter. Um, I don't really, you know, but there again, it it goes back to what I was saying about the Robin Thicke thing. It's all perception. Whose perception of what is going to be seen as actual? 
<laughs> you know, everything we're saying is true. But if if those songs you just quoted, Bobby, became a big hit again, and say Jimmy Williams' estate tried to go after them, well, there's going to be different perceptions um, based on who are, who holds the copyright on the song now. Right. And so whoever has the stronger attorney, that perception will be the one that is probably the one that will be seen. I would imagine that if what we're talking about is kind of a Pandora's box, because if you start getting into the nuts and bolts of what old records were, you know, and you're right, all of us made these um, contributions as musicians, and they were on the fly. And uh, uh, it could be featured in a, in a rap record now, mm -hmm. but I'm not on the songwriting credit for that original record and it's, and that it, I came up with that guitar mm -hmm. on. Right. And, and, and I probably should be, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but I'm not. Right. And, you know, that's that was my... an integral part. That was a very integral part of that song. Yeah, it was an integral part of that record. Mm. And that's yeah. my contention. That's my contention, that sometimes laws need to be changed. Sometimes laws need to be modified. And that's my contention. I don't know if it's realistic, but my contention is the, if, if you can show the burden of proof that, you know, so many experts... Uh, say that this was an integral part of the song. You did much more than a session ex uh, musician. What is expected of a session musician? Well, then uh, maybe there can be some type of law because too many musicians have been taken advantage of. That is my contention. You know, too many are seeing the people who wrote the songs and they might not even have the memorable line uh, and they're seeing everyone else get paid and they, you know, had this... Amazing creativity that basically the song rides on, and they don't get paid, and other people are getting paid millions. I think that there needs to, even if it doesn't go through, I think someone needs to take it to the courts. I'm not a lawyer, but you know it could change copyright law. And if anyone knows, I don't know, Lorena, because you're very familiar with rock history. Is there anything on the agenda with regards to someone bringing that up? Like if the, if they were able to approach it, you know, because it's the burden of proof to show. But, you know, even if there is a contract, they weren't going to play. They weren't even going to be allowed to play if they weren't, if they didn't sign off on that contract. But if they show that it's like this, this, this and this, and everyone says, you know, uh, you know, most... I don't know, all the experts say, and I don't know how you would do it, but all the experts say that this is an integral part of the song and there's like a certain uh, limit with regard to that. It's not just like a basic, uh, you know, part of the song, that, but a, an absolute um, integral highlight of the song. Shouldn't there be some recourse? I really think that there should because it's not fair. You know, that's how I feel. <laughs> well, something something happened to me. Something happened to me relative to that. Um, BB and CC Wine and um, won their Heaven album. That was their second uh, big album. They had a song called um, Meantime. It was called Meantime, right? And I, okay, let me backtrack. There, I, I, I co-wrote a song back in the day called Just Don't Want to Be Lonely. It was hit by the main ingredient, initially by Ronnie Dyson, then the main ingredient had a, a hit with it. So what happened was in BB and CC Winans' song, they have a line. They say, just don't want to be lonely. One line, one mm. line. Now, 
I won the lawsuit. I got a, a, a third of the song wow. just for one line because they used the exact melody, not just the line. <laughs> so they they gave us a third of the song and a cash settlement just just for one line. And it was no it was note for note. It was eleven notes or whatever. No, they said it eleven times in the song. It was just don't wanna be alone. But they used it eleven times. Mm. And just so we won off of one one line. Uh, that, yeah, but that's an integral part of the song. If they're using yeah. it eleven part oh. times in a song, and they just grabbed it. They grabbed your hook and decided they would <laughs> grab my hook. And well, you know, but it's cool. You know, I mean, at least we got some. You know, we got a. a, a mm. We won the lawsuit. Right. To want to chat yeah. on music. Right now, I wanted to but, jump over to Hal. Hal, because you're a musician who's probably played on a lot, a lot of, uh, uh, you know, tracks, and you've probably been in the position where you've added a lot of creativity and haven't been given writer's credit, as well as being given writer's credit on things too. Where, where do you stand? What is your position, and what do you help? What do you hope is going to happen in the future? Well, if I got a dollar for every one of the Death Row records I played on, I'd be buying you all lunch. <laughs> A couple of times over. Right. Uh, I'm in your corner where I feel that the people who contribute to the collective group uh, chemistry of the song mm -hmm. deserve to be rewarded in perpetuity. But right. it is a true fact, and this has happened hundreds of times to me, where I'm offered a uh, contract to sign for the wages for the day, and that is it. That is a release form that allows the song to be used by the artist in any way they see fit. And what's always surprising to me in those kind of situations is how much of my stuff they hang on to. Mm. It, it, I take it as a compliment. I take it as an honor and a privilege to do so, to create this music. I'm always very surprised at something I play on hits. Right. Uh, but unfortunately, the model uh, that since the beginning of recorded time is that sidemen are not allowed a share of the earnings. And this still happens to this day. And that's the main reason that I got into uh, studying the book by Jeff and Todd Brayback called This Business of Music, which if your listeners are not yeah. familiar with it, it mm. is the Bible of copyright and publishing. So can you say that uh, again, yeah. Hal? Because I know listeners will want to get that book. So Rhonda gave you a video, yeah. and now we've got a book from uh, Hal. Can you mention that again? Yeah, it's called This Business of Music by twin brothers Jeff and Todd Brabeck. Okay. It's now in its 10th revision. I was speaking actually to Todd at the IES seminar, and they're on their 10th revision of the book. Mm. So that includes copyright, uh, for example, for video games. Mm -hmm. uh, for commercial placement. But what, the, what we're talking about, the Robin Thicke song, is not a new problem. It's just the, the, the sheer bald-out audacity, especially of the business and people uh, at the label Universal is publishing in, that allowed this to occur and mm -hmm. to become part of a general release song that basically is a copycat. Mm. Um, uh, can I correct you? Their, their book is called Music, Money, and Success. This business of okay. music is another book. Oh, that's sorry. not a book. That's Krasilovsky. That's Phil uh, Krasilovsky, yeah. Okay, so everyone, we've got that. We've got that. So can we repeat that? Because I know that we're all going to be buying these books. Can we repeat those two books? The two books? Uh, it's, it's Music, Money, and Success, The Insider's yeah, Guide by correct. Jeff and Todd Brabeck. Okay. That's a good one, yeah. and, the other, and the other book you were referring to, who is that by? Bill, uh, oh. Bill Krasilovsky and Schimmel. Okay. Sid Schimmel and, and uh, Bill Kraslowski. And that's and this business here, of music. Is that a third one? Yeah. Hey, can I throw uh, out another book uh -huh. written by Randy Poe, A Songwriter's Guide to Music Publishing? Randy yeah. was the president of Lieber and Stoller. It's written in plain English, and yeah. it's a great book. Wow. And Lorena, you had another book? 
Yeah, I'd also highly recommend the Donald Passman book called yeah, All You Need absolutely. to Know About the Music Business. Yep. That book and This Business of Music, which is the Billboard book, uh, Wiley and Billboard's co-pub. Um, those two books are my Bibles. I also have the other two books that were referred here. That, that's kind of my uh, nice representation of my bookshelf. I'm proud to know that I'm on the right, you know, been right. on the right track. I, I missed the, <laughs> the first one. The Music and the Passman book are my two go-to mm-hmm. Bibles when I need, when yeah. I can't remember or I need to explain. Mm-hmm. Right, right. So, so now with regards to. Uh, Lorena, I want to get back to you. Uh, you were talking before about digital royalties and streaming royalties, and I know we're all interested in that. It's a uh, really, really, really big really issue. Big issue. It's a huge issue. And before I go into that really quickly, I am big on saying that we need copyright reform badly. And I've been starting to talk to some people here in L.A. about that. Does anybody want to band with me and kind of wave the flag for this? Because it took 25 years for the Copyright Act of 76 to come into play. They literally, you know, the Copyright Royalty Board worked on it for 25 years before it passed. Um, mm. it, I, I'm I'd like for you to get in contact with me. I am, I am definitely game for an offline conversation and meet up right. with um to start with local folks and then we can bring other people in because I'm ready to spend the rest of my life waving the flag saying there's got to be something better and let's do something about it. Um, as, as far as digital like, goes... Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Hello? Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, yeah, still here. Mm-hmm. I thought somebody was going to make a comment on that. Right. Um, where, where do you want me to start? <laughs> Okay, start wherever you want. <laughs> you can start wherever okay. you want. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it's regardless of whether there are royalties that occur from digital streaming uses or digital download uses or still traditional physical sales or whether it is performance royalties, any one of those copyrights, so to speak, it's a really complex business, as right. many people on the call know, who deal with that end of it. And it right. takes a lot of people to figure out what's happening and how it should be happening and to make it so. And mm-hmm. to make it so in a fashion that is clear and easy to understand for the recipient. Right. But, but you know what, so, Lorena, can I, can I just say something about uh, streaming royalties and the people who pay them? There, there yeah. has to be, because I, I work as an internet, I work as, I'm, I'm doing, I, I give of myself as an internet radio host. I love what I'm doing. I put in a lot of time and energy, but I've had to work corporate America and I'm doing my doctorate. I do this for love. I, I hope it becomes a commercially viable thing for me later on. But I've earned my money from corporate America, pharmaceuticals. <laughs> you know? And and I do what I do because I love it. And so I'm on a platform where I'm giving independent artists exposure. I'm doing something for them. And, you know, and, and you know, Independent artists are giving me their tracks because they can't 
get any commercial rotation. And so they're saying, please, will you pay my stuff? And if I like it, I'm obviously going to pick very good stuff to play because it's representing my brand I'm trying to build. I'm trying to build Melbadelphia. But at the same point, I'm not making money. Um, you know, granted, I don't own the radio station and Daryl can speak more to this. But, you know, when we're doing things that we love, yes, we hope to commercialize it in the future, but we're not making money from, the, big money from this. We're doing this to because we believe in it and because we, we, we love independent music and want to give, uh, you, we want to give audiences access to good music that otherwise they're not going to get access to or ever hear. You know, how can you put that on the same royalty structure as a Pandora? You can't. Oh, it, it, it's incredibly hard because I, I work in a business that actually sees the data. Right. Um, Pandora is not one of our clients. I wish they were. But, um, <laughs> they earn them a lot of money. <laughs> okay. Uh -huh. well, no, not necessarily. Our, our company takes a flat fee. We don't take a percentage, and I don't right. know what the flat fee is. But right. um, just to see the sheer amount of data exchange back and forth that mm -hmm. it takes to make, number one, the clearances happen. Um, number two, I mean, I'm exposed to confidential data on a daily basis that tells me how much it costs for serious XM to pay advances to performing rights societies. Right. Um, the big publishing companies want oodles of money mm -hmm. in advance. Mm -hmm. um, you have to access a catalog. You have to have servers that are going to run, you know, right. as in lots of people pay to put their stuff in the Amazon cloud, and Amazon rarely goes down. But when it does, businesses around the world are dark, right? You right. do this for an hour, and it cripples things. Um, there are white label services where um, – you know, someone who has already compiled, cleared recordings, has the access to them, and you can subscribe, you know, essentially license their, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. their already licensed pool and put your own branding on it. it. It costs an amazing amount of money to even make a streaming service work, and our Copyright Royalty Board has set rates for streams that obviously are not nearly as high as an acquisition of a copy, whether it's digital or physical, of a sound recording, mm -hmm. and of different copyrights are in play, depending upon whether it's interactive or non-interactive, whether it's streaming or internet radio, those kinds of things. So we're in a situation where, first of all, it costs a lot of money to pay out a little bit of money and do it properly, and we're also in a situation mm -hmm. where not everyone reports the same way and clearly, we have meta, you know, some people have probably heard about the metadata issues where mm -hmm. those kinds of things can prevent people from getting paid properly. Mm -hmm. right. You can't properly match your data to usage by a service, mm -hmm. whether it was clear or not. There's, there's, there's just so much there's also, to it at the meant. There's, there's, there's also a lot of misreporting as well by these streaming services. Um, yeah. You know, there's a, a lot of misreporting on the number of streams, etc. Um, and unless you're an artist or, or you have a company that's keeping track of this information mm -hmm. correctly, um, there is a lot of underpayment going on. And, you know, these, these companies are holding on to a lot of money that is due to these musicians. Mm -hmm. um, but one question that I do have, and I would like to put, um, something that um, I guess particularly would pertain to Bobby, Hal, and Herb, mm -hmm. um, thinking about this whole situation with musicians and 
how would you strike the balance going forward, um, ideally, between being a work for hire and be, uh, between being, uh, you know, a work for hire or being somebody that's credited as a songwriter? Um, because I would assume that um, if things were to be in an ideal world whereby you would um, be listed on the credits for the song, mm. that means that really speaking, you'd be paid on the back end as opposed to being paid as a session musician. And a lot of the times that's the bread and butter of a struggling musician. Yeah, right. So how, mm-hmm. how do you guys feel that could work? Hell. Mm. Hell. I'm going to ask Hell to come in. Hello, Chris. Hello? Hello? Yep. If yeah, you want to comment to that. Yep. Mm-hmm. Hello? Okay, I'll jump over to Bobby. Bobby, if you want to... Have, I, have, I have an idea whether or not mm-hmm. whether or not the powers that be would be amenable to something like this, but what if uh, session musicians have had some sort of form that they filled out prior to each session stating that if they come up with their own creative figures that are deemed integral to that particular song, then they should get a pre-discussed, uh, you know, some some sort of fee, you know, a royalty royalty fee, you know, based on, you know, based on that figure. You know, it would have to be spelled out ahead of time that if they come up, if they come up with a figure that, you know, you know, like Anthony did with For the Love of Money, you know, that kind of thing. But, but they would have to do it, they have to do it before each session, that way, you know, you know, it's spelled out. I mean, there's so, so many. There would be there would be like a, a base point structure that perhaps would exactly, be exactly, um, exactly. Then, it doesn't... Do, you, do you not do you, do you not think that would perhaps create more contention than is necessary? Because it may be that the musician says, "Well, look, I did X, Y, and Z," and then the producer or the person that's running the session is like, "Well, actually, no, you didn't." You know, do you feel that there would maybe be? Uh, yeah, that's the only compl- thing. I mean, that's all, yeah, it I mean, crazy. it could. I mean, I thought about that too. It could. I mean, it it, it all depends on who the producers with. are or, or whatever. Um, in a situation where, like with us with MFSB or or any, any kind of group that was a regional re, regional like the Funk Brothers, the MGs, or, or you know, the, the high rhythm, you know, act, you know, bands that were important to the sound of that particular genre, uh, mm-hmm. then, you know, you know, if if the producers or the powers that be involved would agree that their musical styles are important, then they would have to kind of go along, you know, to, you know, to, work, to work something out, you know. Mm-hmm. I would coming think... Up is money coming out of one person's pocket going to another one? That's the only right. problem with it. Um, it. And I'm this is Herb again. Um, I mean, ideally, we want to be wonderful. As I said, you know, we all did these contributions to these records. Uh, um, and you know, uh, you know, I wasn't included as a writer on that song. Um, mm-hmm. But it, it, I don't know. You know, it would be nice if something were happening with that. I don't know how you could go forward because it really goes back to what we're talking about with Robin Thicke and Marvin Gaye because to me what's similar about those songs is what the piano player is doing on both of those records as a bass line. Yep. Um, and I mean when the song starts out it tells you oh this is got to give it up. And so 
But who put the piano down? I know Marvin was an awesome piano player. That's probably his thing. But was it his thing? Was the piano, did the piano player that played the session come up with that piano part? So it gets murky. It's like, but this, that's why this case is interesting because it's going to, with this whole sampling records, are getting influences from records, the whole concept of a genre. Um, it's going to be interesting for them to define what that is. Mm-hmm. And uh, and answer your question, I don't know how you would go about making certain the guy who created a line on a record gets another credit. You, you know, know what I imagine? think, too? You know what I think, too? Excuse me. What if, and I, I think that Stax may have done something like this back in the day where the rhythm section actually splits. It could have been a point or, or whatever, whatever the case may be, just a blanket split that they do receive royalties on everything. Mm. You know, it could be small. It could be a point split between four or five guys. That might make people happy, you know, once the record starts and, selling. And that I, way I every, everybody so everybody gets an even an even thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I that so way everybody too, I feel, everybody feels yeah. everybody feels that, yeah, they're, they're important, and, yes, they all benefited by their creation in the studio. That, that mm. to me, would work. Mm, mm. Absolutely, and I believe that, that I believe that's fair. Um, and and also bear in mind, of course, that you know musicians they don't just play for one artist on one album. You know they're right. quite prolific um, with their work. Mm-hmm. So you know picking up a point here and a point there or half a point or whatever it's going to mm-hmm. be, mm-hmm. I think that that's more than fair, as well as compensating them for the session. Exactly. I mean, I yeah. Oh yeah. Of course. course. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They get the Why, session money plus the uh, yeah plus a piece of uh, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, one point, if, even if it's one point split between four or five guys, you know, the, it adds up when the sales mechanicals Absolutely. add up. They they make, uh, you know. Yeah. yeah. That, that, to me, yeah, I, yeah. I would do it. I, I would do it in a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. Bobby, can I interject one thing? Yep. Okay, this go is ahead. One more time. Mm-hmm. I would love very much, and I know you think I'm crazy for this, but for Earl Young to say, I copy wrote that beat. Get <laughs> 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 attorney to represent him. And to go after these new artists who are sampling that same beat. I know it probably can't be done. Uh, Bobby, you might want to explain what beat I'm talking about to these other folks. Okay, please. You, you mean the four on the floor, the four on the floor disco beat? You mean like quarter note beat? Yeah. Yeah, the, let's say the love I the love I lost was probably one of the first ones. You know, back in in like '72. You know, that was probably one of the first ones. You know, with the hi hat, with with the the so-called pea soup hi hat. Right, and the four on the floor and the thing. So yeah, I mean Earl was the one who made it popular. You know, I mean people may have tried before, but he's the one that really brought it to the forefront and made it really made it. You know, I, I hate to say the word disco, mm. but he, house it? music, house music, basically was built upon Earl Young's drum groove. You right. know, right, you know, and. It's, it, Mm-hmm. You know, that kind of thing. And you and I know Herb was talking about this before and he was saying, you know, people artists like uh Katy Perry, her songs are built on that drum beat and um Absolutely. Look at Vogue. Yeah. Madonna, Madonna's Vogue, mm-hmm. typical. Mm-hmm. You know, they may have even sampled his his one of one of his uh, songs is from one of the South Soul. I think mm-hmm. it was from one of those Mhm. Whoops, sorry. Oops. I just uh I sorry everyone. I have to uh, go back. I've just accidentally. Uh, whoop! What have I done? Uh, 
I'll bring you all back. I did the wrong thing. Here we go. Everyone, I put you on hold. You're going <laughs> to I, I answered a call, and I should have added to call. What I did is I hit the wrong button, and so I put you on hold. So please continue. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm back with you now. This is Hal, by the way. Okay. Hey, Hal. Hey, Herb is here. Uh, hey, Daryl. Yeah, yep. I'm, I'm, yep, we're I'm, all I'm here. Still here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I was just getting ready to chime in on something. Can I go back to the um, to the streaming radio issue for a moment? Yes, absolutely. Sure. sure. Okay. Um, because a, as a station owner, and and I was I was listening to what um, a, you know Alyssa was saying, you know, regarding internet radio, mm-hmm. and and that's kind of really my passion. And it is something I've been considering for a while. But um, basically, when, when I started out, I, I thought back to kind of like the early days of like AM radio and some of those times. Mm-hmm. And um, I know that a lot of DJs, you know, we're talking about the Jocko Hendersons, Georgie Woods's, mm-hmm. and Kay Williams, you know, a lot of those individuals were very responsible for breaking artists. So, mm-hmm. you know, artists were pretty much being broke by the disc jockeys who opted to play their music because of their love for the music. So it was a little different than radio is today. And so when I started doing um, Internet radio and I was thinking about a lot of the independent artists who who really can't get um, traditional airplay, Mm -hmm. that's pretty much what started me with the Internet radio platform. Mm -hmm. Now, the flip side is I I do feel as though they should be compensated for their works. But in reality, if small Internet radio station owners such as myself, and I'm I'm not talking about the Pandoras and and, and a lot of those who are getting major money from from advertisement as well, but if, if we as independent station owners had to pay the copyright um, that's requested of us, most of us would not be able to have an Internet radio platform. Therefore, a lot of the music that we want to play and promote, it, you know, we would be right back to square one where a lot of independent artists can't necessarily get their airplay. Right. Um, does anyone have any suggestions or thoughts regarding that? Mm-hmm. Um, that you could share with me as an independent uh, radio station owner. Right, and I just, just I'm going to jump in. We've had Ron, Ronnie Smith from San Francisco. Everyone knows Ronnie from Frankie Beverly and Mays, and he played yeah. with Patty for a while. He's online too. So, uh, hey, hey, Ronnie. Ronnie. Hey, Ronnie. <laughs> so, all, these, all these legends are Yeah, here. legends. This is a legend. Right. Right, so um, if everyone wants to, anyone wants to answer, um, and Ronnie, if you want to just, um, before we, we go into answering Daryl's question, if you just want to tell everyone, the listeners and the other panel members who might not know you, just a little bit about yourself, you know, just give yourself a br- brief intro, that would be great. Okay, Ryan Smith, born and raised West Philadelphia, started on the road with Herb Smith with First Choice. Right. Went on with Patty LaBelle and played with Mays and played with George Howard. You know, George started with us, you know, with First Choice also. And, you know, just done numerous, you know, little things here and there. So was that around the time when Kersey, when Ron Kersey first came back from the Air Force? Was, was he playing with you all too? 
Yeah, he was our musical director. Sure was. Right. Cool. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Okay, I wasn't there when Ryan. Ryan had moved on. Really? Yeah. Yeah. That's right. You weren't. That's right. I came right after Ryan left. You know, that's when Ryan went big time. (laughs) 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 Big time. Oh, he went big time. Ryan was the man. Oh yeah. Yeah. So. mm -hmm. Okay. Go ahead. So now, um, I'm going to go back to Daryl's. Daryl's. I'm going to go back to Daryl's question, and after that, I'm going to give Ronnie Smith a brief overview of what we've been talking about, and I want his opinion too. So, um, if everyone, anyone wants to answer Daryl's question with regard to a suggestion with regard to streaming and you know internet stations such as WDKK Radio, which which Daryl does out of the the love of his heart for independent music, and I host out of the love of my heart. And yes, we're building buzz, but I've been putting in a couple of years into this as well as doing my corporate job and everything else I'm not getting paid a fortune I'm giving independent artists a platform and exposing them to new fans every day you know right. and, and they're getting solid fans every day you know and they all connect I, I encourage everyone to connect bring each other up together but if, if we're going to be hit with royalties um, the same as a Pandora, we, we can't do it. We'll go under and then indie artists will not have broad platforms. Yes, they'll be able to market just to their specific social networks, but they won't be able to market to any, you know, internet uh, radio stations. And I think WDKK, we're, we're, we're a really, we're a good uh, radio station here and we've got, you know, a lot of really great talent and we, we play great music we don't play wishy-washy because I hear people complain about wow. you know the, the the amount of music but I always make sure what I play meets a, a, a high level standard I don't play anything that is not a right. high level you know so mm-hmm. right well um, I mean if everybody doesn't mind I'd like to just ask a question real quick right. um, in, in regards to being a radio station Daryl um, yes I mean, that doesn't mean that you have to pay each individual artist their royalty payment, whatever that is, from that particular song that you're playing. Is it, isn't it? it that you just um, simply have to uh, purchase, I guess, like a performing rights uh, license or something like that? Well, is that well, from ASCAP, CSEC, and BMI? Right. Pardon me? From ASCAP, CSEC, and BMI. Right. We're paying. We're paying indie artists too. Just remember that. And the indie artists are saying, "Go and play our stuff. We want you to play it." They're not. They might not even be. You know, they're they're like wanting us to play it because they can't get anything else. You know, so right, which is right. which is absolutely which is absolutely fine. And and at the end of the day, if it's an indie artist and their music isn't registered, then they're not going to get paid. It's as simple as right. that. Mm-hmm. But but my question is that um, you know, having a radio station or an internet radio station, is it just a case of um, that you have to purchase this license or? Does the royalty system work differently for radio? That's what I'm, I'm, I'm clear of at this second. Okay, well, yeah, I, um, I do pay licensing. Um, uh-huh. Unfortunately, I, now I know a lot who don't, but yes, I, I am connected with a uh, with a company that does cover BMI, um, Sound Exchange, CSAC, as well as ASCAP. Um, but if 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 I had to do it just as a a a indie, a independent station owner. Even the amount of the licensing that they want you to pay, um, it's 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 
more than the average independent station owner could actually pay. I mean, it's it's not in the tens of thousands of right. dollars, but it is mm-hmm. in the thousands of dollars. Mm. And, okay. and I'm saying so, that's without having any income from the station. Okay. Mm. Right, I understand. And, and so, therefore, my next question would be, um, have you considered the, the, the ways that you're able to monetize your station? Um, to, for instance, when I tune into WTKK, occasionally I'll hear a commercial before um, the actual station begins. Um, the right. same when I tune in on, on the tune-in app on the phone, I'll hear a commercial. Um, so right. maybe it would be um, an idea to have like the Melbadelphia show, for for us to start um, putting commercials in mm. and getting sponsorship. Um, you know, you're you're, a, you're an internet radio station, yes, but maybe we need to begin regionally and begin in the Philadelphia and maybe even the Melbourne area and having sponsors whereby we'll right. offer them advertising for a small fee, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And that way, you're able to start getting an income stream that will help with these outgoings that you're paying for, and at the same time, it will help to grow your listeners. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's just an idea. Just Absolutely. an idea at the top of my head. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's the only way around it that I can see, because radio is such an intangible thing, it's very hard to monetize outside of um, outside of advertising. So, right, right. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I've got to let Daryl, Daryl, if you want to respond to Morgan, because I think that's a really good question, then I'm going to put Ronnie on. Um, I'm going to give Ronnie an overview, and I'll bring uh, Ronnie on. Yeah, I, I think that is definitely the, the way to go. And, I mean, one of the things has been I've, I've been doing Internet radio now for probably about six, seven years, but it's only really been about the past two or three years where, av- I guess, advertisers have, have begun to actually look at Internet radio and say it's feasible, um, and so I think you know at this point that that's a very good uh, that's a very good suggestion, and, and I'd actually be interested in in talking with you sometime at your you know when your time allows to discuss that further. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely, and you know at the same time as well, and I don't know if this falls under the rules of pay for play, and so maybe it may not be um, even even allowed, but it would it could even be an idea to perhaps. Um, you know, when you have artists on the show and, you know, that's great, you'll play their music, but if they want to advertise something coming up, maybe they want to put an ad out for a new album or a show or a tour, perhaps you could charge them a small fee for advertising with you. Right, right. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. great. Yeah, that's so, great. Mm-hmm. That's great. I appreciate I, I, that. I, I ran into, this is Herb, I ran into a fellow recently who is, I got to remember the name of the station he's doing. He some station is out here on the internet where they get independent musicians, songwriters, to pay them a fee to have their songs played in conjunction with established artists in rotation. Right. Um, if your song is similar or your style of artistry is similar to Marvin Gaye. And I said to him, I said, well, don't they have to pay the Marvin Gaye estate? He's paying them. <laughs> but they have to pay royalties mm-hmm. to the actual big dog. Am I right about right. that? Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Right. That is, this radio station's way of getting over, they they charge the aspiring artists wow. money for their song to be played in conjunction with other established artists. Right. Yeah. I mean, and, like and that, bundling I them together. Possibly, they bundle yeah, them I together. Mm-hmm. 
technically that may even be illegal under payola. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and, and, and the other issue with that is that, you know, uh, aspiring indie artists don't have a lot of money, and that's right. why they don't get heard, because they're unable to pay this, you know, ridiculous amount that's required by the mainstream stations. Mm -hmm. So, I, I mean, good luck with his business model, but he'll soon find he'll run out of artists that will pay him to play this music. Um, yeah, I don't... I mean, I don't know if that's true because what we were just talking about, what was that um, artist you knew, Lisa, that came from Australia, and they were talking about the talent show over there. You, I think one of your guests just mentioned it, where they have to sign over everything, and oh. some of them have to pay to be on these shows. Um, I even, I see this a lot. I mean, I know of one radio station where they ask for artists to pay them money to be interviewed. And I'm like, I've never done that. But I, I, I see this. like They're on Instagram saying, you want this, I'll interview you, you got to pay me like a couple of hundred dollars. But, and people are doing it. And it's especially yeah. rife. It's especially yeah, rife the in the hip-hop industry. In the hip-hop industry, it's becoming rife because this is like very big. Um, also, where, where else did I sit recently? So this was big with, it was an urban um, internet station and they were telling people they want to come for interviews they can they'll interview them they pay them the fee they'll interview them um, so they do the same thing honey I didn't mean to cut you off they do the same thing with musicians these days if you want to go for audition for a gig at a certain band <laughs> I have a cat tell me this you have to pay to audition yep. you might not get a gig for the pay to audition <laughs> yeah I mean I I mean, things like that, it kind of reminds me of the whole modeling scam. You know, I'll make you a model if you pay me $600 exactly. to get you a portfolio. Wow. You know, it's utterly ridiculous. Right. Utterly ridiculous. Right. Now, um, and I think real, that's... Mm -hmm. Real quick, real quick, and, and this is Daryl, and then I'll, I'll, I'll be done with this with this uh, uh, aspect. But real quick, my, my primary issue with, with that, um, pay to play... Um, is, is because that's another sensitive issue for me because of my dad and radio, but that that almost borders on payola, um, which which I don't want to do. You know, I mean, I know people do it. I'm trying to actually find a feasible, legal equitable model to do mm -hmm. internet radio. That's what I'm mm -hmm. looking for. Mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and, and I mean. Mm -hmm. What what I'm seeing, um, and 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 you know, I'm seeing that what we're and what I'm learning more and more is people want, and what's not being given on a lot of stations. All they're getting is advertising and the generic songs. What people want is good information and they want good music and they want to look after the underdog. And I am seeing such a groundswell of support for what I do and stuff like what we're doing tonight, providing information, I believe is the way of the future. Even like the IAS the other week was perfect because it was providing a lot of information, bringing people together. This is what we're doing tonight. And if we can continue on that realm and right. bring people together, bring like the people that I've got involved tonight, these are the people we need to do things regularly with us, even like once a week, once a month, whatever, because people will support it. I'm finding so much support. And you know what? They're not going to want to listen to the commercial stations because they're not getting information like this, you know? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I think, Daryl, sorry, um, 
uh, Elisa, but I, I think outside of um, uh, going with the um, expanding your commercial content mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. by way of commercials, um, perhaps it would be an idea to actually um, have a certain portion of your programming that is paid as well, mm -hmm. um, you know, whereby you have certain shows uh, on the air that are giving you income as that's, well. That's an interesting so, so that you. Mm -hmm. So that you then have almost like I guess like a, a charity. You you have certain a certain amount that is given free, like for Melbourne and certain shows that are actually trying to achieve something. Well, I'm and trying to achieve have, something. <laughs> I'm not going to give away all this for nothing forever. And perhaps it, it's a case of you 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 give you give them free time for six or twelve months until they've built a base and they're able to be in a situation whereby they're turning a profit and they're able to pay you the station owner. You know, the, there are there are, like, I think there are many ways around it, Daryl, and, and we'll certainly have a talk about it yeah. offline. Okay, great. Great, mm -hmm. great. Mm -hmm. And I tell you what, I, 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 Morgan, uh, just so you all know, he is like one of my best friends and Morgan also has a phenom phenomenal business head. So, you know, you should all connect with him too. He, I, I, I am, you know, building things with Morgan right now and trying to bring things up. And I trust this man emphatically. So, you know, I just um, thank you for that, Morgan. And I, you know, please everyone else who's... And Morgan's very, uh, you know, cutting edge and has a youthful sort of mentality with his approach to things. So, you know, please everyone reach out and connect with each other even after that. And I'm going to facilitate any of you who want to connect with each other or I'll... Um, and, and people who are listening outside of um, here, I will give you um, the contact information that the uh, panellists are prepared to give to me for you. So they might have a public um, access that you can access. And, you know, I, I'm not obviously going to give away their private information, but they might have some way that you can contact them publicly, um, uh, like, in a, you know, that they're they're prepared to give out public information so you can contact them if you have some questions about what's, or, or you know, want some, you know, talk about what's going on and you think that they can give you good feedback. So, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll um, come forth with more information about that in the coming days, but I'd love to put more of these together. I'm, I'm loving what's going on, you know, so. Absolutely. Yeah. Can I interject her real quickly? I would love to see you guys. Um, encourage live performances like Elisa did. Maybe there could be a competition of um, aspiring artists in Melbourne that compete with aspiring artists in Philadelphia and <laughs> Oakland. Wow. Something like that. Wow, a city versus like city. That, <laughs> when a winner gets featured live performing something. Right, right. I don't know if that sound crazy, but music needs to have a live, for music, it needs to live. Mm -hmm. It's yes. not just about recordings. It needs to have a place where it's living. Exactly. Amen to that, brother. Mm -hmm. Exactly. You know, Absolutely. That's right. bring, bring, bring back the battle of the indie bands. Something <laughs> like that, yeah. Right. Something yeah. like that. Something mm -hmm. uh, like that. I would uh, tell you that you might want to try to look at, even some of the, um, like the, um, the radio stations that I have, like on my cable in the car, they feature um, artists who are out now, but they perform live. Right, right. Like an unplugged, yeah. unplugged type of things are probably like fairly not too hard. You know, um, you know. The only thing is with satellite, you've got millions being pumped into that sort of thing. So you've I know. got, yeah, no, uh, you no. know, you've got like a different format. They've got like millions and millions of corporate dollars going.
going into that. So you're going to get like a different um, platform. You've got like, like, you know, I'm doing all the tech here as well as the broadcasting, as well as the everything. I'm actually doing a whole lot here. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, with regards to the satellite, you've got a person doing tech. You've probably got 10 people doing tech. You've got like uh, 10 people doing sound. So, you know, you're on, it's a totally different, you've got the corporate dollars. I mean, you know, what, Sirius or, uh, you know, they paid Howard Stern how much money? You know, so, uh, you know, they've got millions and millions and millions of dollars. (laughs) You know, I mean, but but I want to, because Rob, uh, because Ronnie's come on the um, phone and I want to give him a chance to uh, talk about what we were talking about before. So if you want, who can give him the quickest overview of what we were talking about? And I think the most important thing for Ronnie would be the musicians and the uh, royalties that could possibly be paid in the Jimmy Williams thing. So does someone want to give him a brief overview? I'll do it if Bobby doesn't want to. It's Herb, Ronnie. We, the, we were talking basically is, um, you know, when you go in, and I'm sure it happened when you cut with Frankie. And he, mm-hmm. Ronnie did all the guitar work on the Frankie Beverly stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you go in, and Frankie has a song he wrote, but he's not sure, and then you come up with a lick. Oh, yeah, play that lick. Keep that lick going. But the lick that you come up with is part of the integral part of the composition. That's because we're talking about um, the Robin Thicke thing as far as, what you know, Bang and Marvin's track. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, we mentioned Jimmy Williams, um, you know, Ain't No Stopping Us Now, that played bass on that, who came up with that bass mm-hmm. line. Right. Um, and how musicians, when they go in the studio, they're, they're work for hire. So we're not really the songwriters. But what happens mm-hmm. is, as that song that you've laid those guitar lines gets, somebody else covers it, or somebody else decides that they want to take a piece of the song, and like Robin Thicke, even though he didn't, he recreated that new record, but he based it on that on that Marvin Gaye record. Mm-hmm. If that were to happen to a song that you played guitar on and came up with that line, Frankie Beverly's going to get paid like crazy. Right. You came up with those guitar parts. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, what is your stance? And I also, before you give your stance, I want, uh, I want um, Lorena to, she put out something that she proposed, and I really liked what she suggested. Lorena, if you could just give Ronnie an overview of what you suggested, I thought it was, like, perfect. Was that the copyright thing? Yes. Getting a group together? Yes. Well, I think it's Lorena Major here, Rock History Gal. Um, I attend, I, I live in Los Angeles, and I attend the California Copyright Conference meetings every month. They're off for the summer, but they're coming back next week, actually. And at least a couple, you know, three, four times out of seven or eight meetings a year, the focus is legal copy. I mean, it's called the California Copyright Conference. Sometimes you have guest visitors and, you know, Lamont Bozier mm-hmm. stopped in in May or whatnot. But it's, it's frequently talking about the legal aspect. And coming up this Tuesday is the legal update. Where are we with a big breadth of topics across copyright and what I would like to do and I've thrown this out to a couple people including Tess Taylor who's the president of the National Association of Record Industry Professionals, NARIP Um, I'm a member of NARIP and NARIP the Recording Academy Um, there is a man that she knows um, last time we were at a meeting we talked about um, the copyright royalty board the current president and her it wasn't exactly a proposal but it was kind of a proposal about where do we go next 
and we talked extensively about how the Copyright Act of 76 took literally 25 years for the Copyright Royalty Board to bring to fruition. So the, the very first thing that we have to all embrace as a group is that any kind of copyright reform going forward will take time. And mm -hmm. as a multiple times on the call, we've got a lot of different kinds of people to convince, you know, we don't know if so-and-so is going to go for that, if we make that kind of change from, you know, existing corporate entities and, and whatnot otherwise. And so what I'd like to do is get a group of people together to <laughs> start to come up with ideas and, and meet even outside of these copyright conference meetings and whatnot mm. and start with a local group here in L.A., get people on calls and we do a monthly or whatever mm. session where we can see each other and talk, have a forum like this, you know, make it a part of what we do every month or whatnot, and mm -hmm. start pulling together ideas like what we were talking about for how can session musicians who may come up with a very, very important element that is critical to the song be compensated beyond just a work for hire. And it makes me think of... Um, you know, negotiating a back end or like we talked about a point or a half point, whatnot, which would ultimately come out of the sound recording, right? So you wouldn't be throwing an even bigger monkey wrench into the, the actual music publishing copyright. How can we as a group of copyright-centric people who want the creators to succeed and make a decent living so we can keep creating and be happy and can, you know, then do what copyright law was originally intended to do. It wasn't intended to make anybody rich. It was intended to fairly compensate creators so that they continue to create because our government felt, and I think it still feels, that creation of intellectual property benefits society. So mm -hmm. if we can go with some really new, creative, groundbreaking ideas and band together, take them to Congress, go justify, right. do our thing. Mm -hmm. If it takes us 10 or 15 years, whatever, mm -hmm. but keep Absolutely. being a group of flag wavers to make this stuff happen right. and also try to counter this culture that has been created of music should be free. You know, the, the consumer, a lot of the consumer culture kind of looks at it that way now. So how do we, how do we create a system so our creators can still make decent little? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right. Well, well what, I w what I would like to just interject and say, um, this is Morgan again, is that, um, you know, what we're doing um, at Drink Up The Music, um, one way that we're working with our, our artists, and yes, it's on a much smaller scale than it needs to be, but I believe the, sh the power is shifting at the moment. Mm -hmm. And the reason that I believe it's shifting is that we work with independent artists at the moment who are preparing for album releases. During the construction of this album, the creation of this album, we are including musicians, and various other people who are involved in that creative process on the split sheets. We're including them in some way, shape, or form. We're giving them points because a lot of the time people donate their time and their energy mm -hmm. and their creative gifts. And whilst we may not be able to pay them up front, we're going to pay them on the back end. Mm -hmm. Now, what, what's great about this sure. is yeah. that is, is we have companies like TuneCore, for example, Mm -hmm. who an artist will register their work with them. TuneCore will then ensure that their work is distributed for digital release across various platforms. Mm -hmm. The royalties are then paid directly to the artist or the people that are on that split sheet. And for me, that's a great way for the musicians to kind of get to a position that we need them to be in, whereby they are being um, uh, recognized and compensated for the work that they put in in the studio. 
mm-hmm. it's, if there's a way that we can translate that to a bigger scale for the major artists, the major labels, mm-hmm. you know, thankfully the, the, the power is shifting because, uh, you know, more and more releases are becoming independent. More and more artists with platforms like TuneCore are able to put their own music out there without depending upon mm-hmm. a label to, mm-hmm. to, for that deal. Mm-hmm. With TuneCore distributed to all the the usual, like iTunes, Amazon, Rhapsody, yep, and all they that. Yep, they do. They do absolutely. to everyone. But the, you know the, what? The aggregate, yeah. You know what? I yeah. I actually prefer CD Baby to TuneCore. I much prefer uh-huh. CD Baby, and that's my preference. I put out my songs because I have releases, and I put out my songs on CD Baby, and uh-huh. I much prefer that, whereas I put out my daughter's songs, or I put out her first song on TuneCore, and I didn't like it as much. Um, much but prefer you know, CD Baby. You know, Mm-hmm. But, you know, for me, what's so great about TuneCore is that they have actually been working with people like YouTube as well. Mm-hmm. And they've provided the technology to YouTube whereby they can send a master to YouTube to digitally fingerprint that master and have YouTube scan their databases to see where and when uh, copyright infringement is occurring so that it can either be stopped really? or, so, or, or so that the artist can be compensated accordingly. Right. Absolutely. That's, right. Uh, you know, may and you I know, mention something? Mm-hmm. Oh. Go on, Rhonda. Uh, about mm-hmm. TuneCore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is mm-hmm. Rhonda about TuneCore. I like mm-hmm. TuneCore for distribution. I like CD Baby. But lately, TuneCore's really been trying to do a lot of publishing. Mm. Their contracts, they want to take your performance royalties instead of it going straight to you. Their publishing contract is horrible. Mm. That's right. my Not personal good. opinion. Interesting. Okay. Now, now, Ron, I wanted yeah. to go back to Ron Smith because, Ron, yeah. um, what was your position after you heard Lorena and um, Herb tell you about, you know, where possibly session musicians or pe- people who played on an album because they're over a barrel. They can't, they're, they're like, they're not going to be invited to play if they don't take the session money, but there should be some type of thing that states that on the back end, you know, they get like a point, half a point, and if it's an integral part of the music that they're some sort of recourse what's your position oh i definitely believe that Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because you know those parts are integral to the song Mm -hmm. you know like you mentioned jimmy williams you know his bass line right when ain't ain't no stopping i mean that song would not have been what it was Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. without his without his bass line Mm -hmm. and uh and you know, there's a few of the May songs that I added a, a part to that the song just wouldn't have been the same. Oh, I know you did. Part. I know you did. I, I know you did. But ten and, years. How about you Satisfaction? Know, Satisfaction by the Stones. How is that going to be the same song without that guitar intro? Right. You know? Damn. But right. uh, but he got paid. Uh, you know. I mean. Yeah, but I'm just saying that, that's so okay. For love of money, I don't think would work with. You know, you have to have that baseline for right. the love of yep. money. I can't picture it without that baseline. Right. It ain't going to happen. That, that was featured the on that Stones dollar. The Stones do share no. their publishing. Hmm. Pardon me? Who? The Stones on the back end with the publishing, They even though Keith and, and, and Mick and Ron may write it, on the back end they do share publishing with the entire band. Yeah, wow, see? That's, great. that's nice, yeah. Yeah, yeah, wow. yeah definitely, definitely. Wow. So, yeah, well, I remember at one point, you know, at one point, I can't remember what year it was, 
But I was hearing things about, like, Marcus Miller. Everybody's familiar with Marcus Miller. Yep. Ace no, player. I'm not. Um, <laughs> who's Marcus you know, Miller? Marcus Miller, oh, no, who's Marcus Miller? bass player, from writer. Yeah. He, he co-wrote a lot of Luther's major hits. Oh, wow. Love and produced okay. his records. Okay. But he also produced uh, David Sanborn. Okay. He was producing David Sanborn when he was like 16, 17 years old. Wow. That's right. Mm-hmm. And uh, he did Miles Davis. I mean, it's incredible. Look him up. Look mm-hmm. him up. That track record is he incredible. To, um, not the indirect, the theme to that show with Charlie Ritt. Charlie, it's on in PBS. Charlie, Charlie Rose. Wow. Yeah. Uh-huh. Mm. You know what I'm talking about? The, the music on that, I think he put that together, too. Mm. I think you're right. I think you're right, man. Oh, mm. yeah. I mean, he's done so much. Bad there was a There was a time when Marcus and a few of the guys around, they wouldn't do sessions any longer because they're not going to do a session unless they get writer's credit. Wow. Can you blame them? And but you know, at the time, at the time, I was you know a little bit ignorant of that because all I wanted to do was play on record. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, so I wasn't thinking about that. I didn't care. You know, I just wanted to get that little money. But you don't realize what you're giving to that record. You are actually writing when you give yourself to that record. Yeah. Because these people wanted Marcus because of who he was. Right. So. If you get Marcus because of who he is and what he's going to contribute to this record, then he's part of that writing. He's mm-hmm. part of composition. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And when musicians give what they give, they are part of composition. I mean, look at Never Too Much by Luther. I mean, that. I mean, Marcus was all over that one. I mean, that whole over it. groove, that whole bass line, that whole groove mm-hmm. was Marcus. You know, mm-hmm. all over it. And you know, I've heard. I've heard records, sure, you could get another musician in there to do, play the same thing, but it doesn't mean it's going to be magical. Mm. Now, I'll tell you, you know, you know, adding to that what you just said, right? Now, we did, a few years ago, we, we did a project called Soulful Tale of Two Cities, whereby Philadelphia musicians, it, it's a two-CD a two set for the Philly musicians, did Motown songs. Then we went to Detroit, and we had the Detroit guys do Philly songs. That's so cool. Now, mm-hmm. now, the Philly musicians nailed the Motown parts, but when we went to Detroit, we tried to do, you know, Ain't No Stopping Us Now, uh, For the Love of Money, TSOP. It wasn't happening. They played their stuff great. I mean, when they were messing around in the studio. They were doing Ain't Papa Was Rolling Stone and Love Child. They did great, but they couldn't cop. The Philly groove at all. It just it just wasn't the same. So why was you know? that? Why do you it's think it's not that, the same? You why know, do you think we had that Bob the Babbitt, we had all you know, the regular funk brothers, Uriel, Bob Babbitt, every, because it was not the Philly guys had a tendency to dig in. We we would always dig in to dig into the groove that you know, but they just kind of played it with a kind of laid back, you know, the intensity wasn't there, right? You know, and and the synergy between Bob Babbitt on bass and Uriel on on drums. They're both great musicians, but they didn't have the lock. They didn't have no. the same lock, you know. Yeah. And it was kind of like 
a little more. I don't want to say smooth jazz, but it was it wasn't the funk wasn't the same. It's not the same. I I got to <laughs> tell this story real quick. Okay. I got to tell this story. Okay. I played on one of Maze, one of Maze's uh, good hits, which is "We Are One." Yep. I don't know where that guitar part came from. I just felt it. Yep. It, it doesn't even make sense. You know, when you listen to the chord changes and stuff, that the guitar part really doesn't make sense. But that's what I felt. There okay. you go. Oh, yeah. That's good, it's good stuff. I, I hear it in my head now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it was something, it, yeah. It's just something that I felt. I don't know. I don't know where it came from. Mm. Okay. There's other guitar players that have, you know, come in the band since me. And Frankie always says, nobody plays their part like you. Everybody says, nobody plays their part like you. I mean, look at Joy and Payne. It's, it's weird how I played it anyway. And um, so what happened, Frankie's son did a tribute album, <laughs> a Maze tribute album. And he said, wow. I want you, he said, you have to play We Are One. Um, who did, uh, Raheem Devon did the yep. uh, did the vocal on it. And he said, Ron, you have to play that because nobody else plays this song like you. <laughs> so I said, no oh, problem. Yeah. So they recorded the tracks, and uh, then it came time for me to overdub my part because they did it in L.A., but then they came up here to Bay Area for me to do my track. Mm-hmm. And wow. when I got in the studio and I laid my part down, and I'm like, yeah, nobody's going to play this like me. What the heck? In the <laughs> control room... And I listened to the playback, and I was like, God damn. <laughs> I said, I don't even sound like me. <laughs> because it was like 20 years, it was like 20 years ago, 20 plus years ago, even I didn't sound like myself. I couldn't even duplicate myself. Wow. That's interesting. That's really oh, it, wow. blew me, it blew me away. Wow. It blew me away. I'm sitting in the studio. You are the same artist you are at that time. That's, that's Exactly. Really- Wow. So at that moment when you're recording, there's so much else that goes into it. It could be uh, what side of the bed you got up on. Um, did you have a fight with your wife? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What did you eat? Anything. Right. It all comes out in it that does. moment when that, does. when that tape is running. Mm-hmm. Your soul is a different thing. Yeah, people, people, don't, people don't believe that. That's true. That's right, man. It mm-hmm. is because you can't. I mean, even. I mean, you guys have recorded so much music. You know it. You've recorded stuff, and you say, "Okay, I think you could do that a little bit better." Mm-hmm. And now, you erase that part and to overdub the better part, and you never nail it again. <laughs> now, now, we 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 check this out. Interesting, similar thing. We, we, we're we the backstabbers by the OJs, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. Usually we'll do maybe two or three songs in a day, but that song, for some reason, we worked on the same song from the morning till the night, right? Now, Kenny Gamble, for some reason, for some reason, he wasn't feeling it at first. He, he said, man, I don't know, I don't know. Let's come back tomorrow. Let's do it again. So we came back the next day, did another version of Backstabbers that was heavier, like a heavier, almost sort of rockish kind of heavier backbeat and everything. But you know what? The version that came out was the one that we did the first day. The original. The other one, the other, yeah, the other one wasn't working. Right. It was nice. Right. It was nice, but it was too heavy. 
It didn't right. have the timbali thing. It didn't have that that tender that 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 the punga thing and the timbali and the guitar. It wasn't yeah. the same. Yeah. So so that's the way you know. It's kind of like it's a, yeah, and it's a, it's a magic that's created with that, and mm-hmm. the musicians really need to be compensated. Way yeah, more man. than what they are. Exactly. Amen. Mm-hmm. Way more than what they are. Um, I'll give you one more quick example. Yep. Um, he may kill me if you know for hearing me say this, but Robin Dewey, who was the bass player for Maze, mm-hmm. uh, Robin has a unique style. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't call Robin to do a session for most people. You know, I could think of other bass players I might use. He may say that, you know, about me as a guitar player, too. (laughs) But he is the only bass player I would ever call if I was doing a maze session. I could see that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, because the way he plays, his style was part of the DNA of that group. Mm. It was part of the DNA. And and Billy Billy Johnson, but... All those guys should be compensated yep. for the DNA that they contributed to this music. Absolutely. All this music that's been done all these years. Mm-hmm. I can't I mean, see Joy and Pain being any Philadelphia different. All the Philadelphia guys, yeah. and you, all the Automotown right, guys. Right, I right. mean, nobody's going to do it like and, and guys you, you know, You know what I think? You know how they've had an unsung on the actual singers and vocalists? They need to do an unsung on the musicians, you know, the musicians with the big bands that haven't been given the... I could actually recommend that to them, yeah. Yeah. You know, that's, that's what idea. needs to be done. The musicians, say the Michael Jacksons, I know I'm, I, I, um, you know, I'm connected with um, the guy who represented the drama for Michael Jackson. Well, you know, but people who were integral parts of big acts never got the accolade. But they're the unsung. I mean, there right. needs to be a musician's right. unsung. Right. That's what yeah, I'm thinking. There's a page mm-hmm. I started mm-hmm. on Facebook. It's a like page. I don't have yeah, any it's, people it's Luther, on it. Yeah, it's Luther's. It's it, but that's for the artists themselves. The un but, the unsung. And yes, yeah, so I've I've hooked you up with Luther, who um he said he was going to be listening in tonight. He has an unsung page, and he's actually I've actually interviewed quite a few of the unsung artists. So I've interviewed, um, I, I've interviewed, uh, um, who, who did I interview again? I, uh, um, oh, Leon Silvers. Leon Silvers. I interviewed, oh, yeah. um, and he was amazing. I, I've interviewed, um, uh, quite a few of the unsung artists. I interviewed one of the unsung producers too. And um, they often push people in my direction that they want me to interview. They're, they're wanting me to interview because they don't have a platform. They don't have right. a platform, but yet they've got a lot of fans. And so right. I've been able to take on a lot of their people because, mm-hmm. you know, because I give them a new audience too, a younger mm-hmm. audience, because a lot of them were connecting with, uh, you know, they might be, some of them were established artists, um, but some of them are so amazing. One of my most um, 
the favourite interviews I've ever done was with um, Phil Perry, who's not like well known across. I love Phil Perry. Yeah, I love oh, him. yeah. I, well, he's one of my favourite interviews I've ever done. I tell you what, that guy was so deep. I loved him. Oh yeah, uh, I worked <laughs> with Phil. <laughs> and he's and, been to the house for dinner. Oh really? He and yeah. he was amazing. One of my favourite interviews that I've done to this day is Phil. And, and, you know, yeah. he just reached out to me. I don't know how he found me, but he reached out to me. And he's like an unsung person because he didn't cross over, but his voice is like that of an angel. You know, it's like, yeah. Mwah. you know. I, there's a page I started on Facebook called Track History. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's what I created it for is for musicians to come on and tell stories. Get out of here. I'm going on. I'm going on tonight. Track history. Great. Track history. I'm going to connect everyone. Uh Just like that story you just told about uh, backstabbers. I mean... Damn. People love to hear that stuff. They, we we have so many stories to tell. Yeah, I got a million of them. A million of them. Oh, I know you'll, you you'll be you'll be seeing me on there. Believe me. Oh, it's <laughs> Bobby Eli. Oh my hey, God, Bobby. Ronnie, <laughs> Ronnie, can I interject, Ronnie? I don't know if you want to share with Bobby the story about Harvey Mason. <laughs> Let me hear. Let me hear. No, no I, I had to do that on the. <laughs> Come on, now you've got us all curious. Come on, come on, we want to hear it. Come on. It's funny, man. Let's go. It's hilarious. Let's hear it. We want to hear it. We're, we're, we're like, come on, give it up. You've got to give it up. You gotta I give can't it up. Do it on the radio. Yes, you can. You oh, know, yes, you can. Come on. I mean, you know, it's it's all I good. I can't do that with on the radio. Yes, you can. Oh. Why not? <laughs> yes, you can. I, I had to do a sidebar with Bobby on that one. Oh, okay, no problem. No, 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 because now by we're. Way, by the way, a biggie. <laughs> how, how can you? How can you have Shaft without the late Skip Pitts guitar part? It ain't oh going to happen. God. I mean, wow. that was Shaft. Nobody plays that wah wah part like him. Wow. Yeah, he passed away. You know, he passed away a while ago. And wow. he did, but yeah, he passed away about six months ago. Believe it or not, skipped it. Wow. Yeah, man. But that it's, part, I mean, he he just made it up out of the clear blue sky. Wow. There's wow. no way he shouldn't have gotten some kind of compensation. <laughs> he didn't. Other than the fifty hundred dollars or something he made for that part. Well, wow. Well, you, but you know what? You know, with all this conversation tonight, I have. I really enjoy it, and I really believe coming out of this, you know, I want everyone to think about and connect with each other about it, but I really believe that there needs to be some type of, maybe it's a monthly show, uh, but for the unsung musicians, for to highlight musicians, you know, who've been an integral part of the artist. People like Hal, people like Ronnie, People like Bobby, people like Herb, people like Jimmy Williams. You know, this is this is a show that I bet you would blow up because yes, it would. Yes, it would. Because and no one's doing it because they're only focused on the person who was singing. You know, they're not focused on anything else. And I bet you, if we did that, we'd get a lot of industry people who would blow it up. You know, because oh yeah, you know, oh, I'm, yeah. my mind's already like clicking. You know, I mean. Because the stories, uh, the stories are mm-hmm. unbelievable, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the stories are something that would keep you up 
48 hours mm-hmm. straight. Yes, mm-hmm. indeed. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And 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 Easy. also, not only that, you give this pla- you give that platform a go, and also the uh, unfairness of you know the way musician rates are and not being given the points when mm-hmm. when they're a huge part of the creative process that could become an issue if we give it a platform, you know, yeah. I, I mean, you know, because I don't think people are giving it a platform, but you know, I'm not one who's afraid of controversy and I like to make noise. I mean, maybe that's oh, what yeah. I was born to do. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe that's something I was born to do because I do, I say things that I believe in and, you know, I totally believe that what's going, what's gone on. You know, I love, I love every creative person, but I think that a lot of musicians have been given a raw deal because, you know, I have to say I had a lot of friends who are artists and um, brilliant musicians and I'll go, you know, say I'll catch up with them and I'll be the one who's paying, you know, because, uh, you know, they should have a whole lot of money for their contributions and Mm -hmm. they haven't been compensated. So I I, I think that it's, I think that it's something that can be built on. I think a lot of people would support it, you know? So I'm just like, you know, my mind is, (laughs) you know, going in a, you know, it's just like another, another thing, you know, that, that is something interesting to think about and perhaps uh, do a highlight once a month but you know i'm just and with the with the philly guys with the philly guys Mm -hmm. the original mfsb it just sort of happened by osmosis i mean it it was was, when you think about it it was almost like 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 a biblical thing like Mm -hmm. this this person beget this person and that person beget this it just kind of happened and that particular crew just wound up in the same studio at the same time mm-hmm. m- making those records and yeah. nobody got them nobody got in the way you know mm-hmm. even if you had three guitar players on a session it was like a perfect it, the parts fit like a jigsaw puzzle mm-hmm. you know and these were initially initially people that came from different parts of town or initially didn't even know each other but wound up under that same roof man mm-hmm. you know and and it was just just super you know, we even did a, an album with B.B. King. You had B.B. King and three more guitar players. In fact, I was looking uh-huh. at a picture a picture of the session today. You had Roland, Norman, myself, and B.B. King wow. on the same wow. session. That's all I can say, shit. See, the good thing about internet radio is I can say shit. Man, and this stuff, this stuff is just, is just the test of time. It's like it's. Like it's brand new music. Oh. Yeah, uh, thank uh, God. I mean, you know, and thank God, you know, I think that, you know, old school music is, is really, really, really trying to make a comeback in a, in a huge way, you know, because uh, other than that, you know, the newer music, I, I hate to say it, but a lot of it really sucks, man. You know, oh, yeah. I, I, it, it's unlistenable, you know. That's why, yeah, this, you know. why like Robin Thicke, borrowing from the past. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah, really, man. My God, you know. Whatever, however you want to refer to it, um, but uh, the, the past, the music of the past was just awesome. But there's some wonderful things today. But yeah, the music of the past is awesome. The music well, of the past is. You know, it's hard. It's hard for one person to build a house. Mm-hmm. It's hard for two people to build a house. You know, um, it takes multiple people. 
Wow. And, right. you know, you got you got these people out here now, they wear too many hats. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. they're wearing the producer hat, they're wearing yep. the ranger hat, and they're the musicians. But you got it, one person you know, being the musicians. But, but, Ronnie, I don't think, you know, I'm a multitasker myself. So, <laughs> I, I actually think that it's, it's healthy if you're a musician and you become a producer. It's a, it's a healthy thing because I, I think it's healthy to learn more about your business and be as much as you can within your business. I think that's a really... Yeah, it depends on the person. Mm-hmm. Everybody's not cut out for that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You've got some musicians that make good producers. Right. Mm-hmm. Every musician doesn't make a good producer. No, you're right. You're right. Yeah. Absolutely. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Some of them need to stay away from that. Some of Absolutely. them need to stick to their instrument. <laughs> Absolutely. You know? I totally agree. Yes. Because that's where the magic happens. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, that's where the magic happens. And, um, right, but you know, if, like if not producing. Said, you know, you got mm-hmm. three, three or four guitar players. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like if I did a solo project, like for me, you know, say like a smooth jazz thing or something mm-hmm. like that, Ron Smith mm-hmm. smooth jazz, I would not play the rhythm guitar. But mm-hmm. I would definitely hire other guitar players to do that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because you want way. you want another element. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But you got all these people that well now you got all these button pushers. You know they can't really play anyway. <laughs> wow, so, um, that's that's that's, heavy. that's one that's one of the things that's you know just made music. Mm-hmm. Sorry today, it's horrible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know because you had. All of that energy for, you know, mm. you know, Sound of Philadelphia, the Motown sound. You had mm. all these musicians. You didn't have, like, you know, one guitar player playing three or four parts. You had different guitar players. Right. They, they yeah. sat there and worked those parts out. That's energy. You got all those different balls of energy coming together, working in unison, and mm-hmm. that's where the beauty comes from. That's where the magic oh, comes from. Oh, it's beauty. Oh, absolutely, man. Well, that's why yeah, it's still yeah. kicking now. Mm-hmm. You and know? when it came time for there was no punch in. They had to do it right the first time, or the whole band does it over. Like, right. Yeah. They had to record it twice. If you ever go on the tour of the Motown Museum, I'm a big fan of that city. Period. Mm-hmm. But of course, I went on the tour, and one of the things they point out on every single tour when they do it, like, oh yeah, I had to do that one twice. Somebody made a mistake. <laughs> twice. Oh yeah. <laughs> hey Ron. Hey Ron. Make sure to tell Frankie I uh, send my love, man. He's he was my neighbor back in the day, man. When he lived in Winfield, I lived around the corner from him. Oh, wow. okay. Well, when I see him, I'm not in there any longer. Yeah, if you see him, you know. Yeah, yeah when yeah, I, yeah, yeah, when I see him, I'll definitely tell him. But I'm going to send you a message anyway because... Yeah, I please. I'm on, I'm on Facebook. I'm, I'm on Facebook. Mm-hmm. What I'm going to do, and, and I'm going to take this opportunity um, because it's getting really late. We've gone way over. I should have known because we're, we're all having a ball. But, but what I'm going to do. I've got to make a downbeat, you guys. What, what, I, what, what, I, what I want everyone I to do. What, what I'm going to do is I'm going to connect to everyone, and I want everyone to think because I am willing to take this further on like a monthly schedule, whatever. So if you've got ideas that you want to tell me, me and Daryl can work with you guys to facilitate things. We have a platform, Definitely. you know, so we have a platform we can 
tell the world things, you know. So please, I've enjoyed every single one of you. You've contributed oh. so much tonight, and oh, I've just gosh. had a ball. And so what I want you all to do as I'm as we finish off is I'm going to go to each one of you, and you can all say, you know, a recap or anything that you want to say about the night, just so you know we can, you know, finish. And you know, over on the east coast, we're we're getting towards like after half past twelve now. So, 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 you know, I know you're only at 9.30 on the West Coast, but, you know, on the East Coast, we're getting a little tired here. So... <laughs> yeah, we're so, just getting started over here. Yes, yeah, really. Hey, hey, Hal, Hal, one cool question. One cool question. The, de- the Death Row Sessions, were, I mean, with Suge Knight present, were they what I think they were? I mean, were they kind of, you know, wild, shall we say? <laughs> Well, let's just say that uh, the room was rather smoke-filled. That's a fact. Yeah. But they have a very strong work ethic. The guys would come in, you know, start sitting in about 4 or 5 o'clock, and we'd often go 24 and 36 hours in a stretch. But at the end of it, they'd have a completed track, and sometimes several tracks. For example, one night, there's some unreleased tracks that were done by the Ohio Players with both Tupac and Snoop uh, singing. And we went mm-hmm. almost four days straight. But by the end of four days, I could barely stand up. I was sleeping wow. on the couch an hour or two here and there. We had six songs in the camp. There's quite a bit of unreleased material there, but despite, you know, the, the partying and the lifestyle and the trappings of hip-hop, the luxury right. cars, the women, these right. fellows have a very strong work ethic. Calvin, or Snoop, as everybody knows him, is mm-hmm. one of the hardest-working, funniest guys. And also, don't play video games with this guy because he will kick your butt. Oh, damn. Wow. <laughs> real, you know, really hard-working people. They have a, had a very strong work ethic. Right. Right. But I don't think at that time I had any idea that, that the music that I was making with them would have the staying power. I had no right. idea. I was a guy who moved down there from the Bay Area and was doing some mm-hmm. guitar repairs mm-hmm. and trying to get a session here and there. And wow. how that came about was I did a gig with um, my hero, Johnny Guitar Watson, at the House of Blues. Mm. Wow, and they yeah. heard me playing Johnny Guitar Watson licks and said, wow, that is really cool. A white mm-hmm. guy that can play funky guitar. What are you doing tomorrow? <laughs> Come to Can-Am Studios. Yep. The rest, as they say, is history. I, I'm, I'm thrilled to have been part of it. It was a once-in-a-lifetime experience, and I'm still I'm still riding the wave of it. I'm wow. very did they, did they did they did they pay well at the time? Well, it took a while to get paid, and also <laughs> oh. for, uh, other items such as uh, Cartage. I had a Cartage company at that time. I had a guitar right. technician coming with me because I had multiple rigs and multiple instruments. Mm-hmm. Right, it took sure. them a while to cough it up, but I ended up having a very good personal friendship with Suge Knight, and people portray him as this monster. I mean, I, I used to babysit the guy's kids. Mm. Um, wow. Still to this day, we, he was at the studio recently when we were doing um, DJ Quick over there. Mm-hmm. All right. At Hollywood mm-hmm. Lake Studio. So I recently saw him again. Dr. Dre came through, Alfie Hutton and DJ Pooh also. also um, and uh, there's still a lot of love and a lot of camaraderie there. And mm-hmm. again, I, I could have never imagined it would be able to get this big or go this long. It's, because, it's a way of life, really. Wow. It's a phenomenon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. It is amazing. Well, into, into producing uh, engineering and uh, mm-hmm. partner in the studio here. I moved my game up. Wow. Wow. Well, I'm, so oh, if you'll yeah. just like explain to Ronnie, who's also <laughs> another avid guitarist, because he'll be blown away when he hears it. So if you could just yeah, like quickly. Um, yeah, uh, I recorded an album with a guitar player named Steve Kimoff in the Bay Area. Steve is mm-hmm. uh, the guitar player that was in the Grateful Dead after Jerry Garcia died. He's an excellent lead guitar player and plays incredible slides. Mm-hmm. We were playing it with each other. We did a duet concert at Buena Vista Vineyard in Sonoma County. Mm. And like, the chief vintner there, a guy named Mark Linticum, and his partner John Wood, who's an audiophile engineer, mm-hmm. came up with the idea to have us record in these giant 
25 foot round by 75 foot tall fermentation barrels made out of metal. They were, wow. they were quite large. So they had to have a hatch on the top to check the fermentation and a hatch on the bottom to get in and clean the thing. So they were cleaning up this giant warehouse with like 50 of these things in it. So we got the idea to climb into the little submarine hatch and set up our guitars and close, do the close miking and vocal miking of the guitars from there and then put a stereo pair of Neumanns from the ceiling, large diaphragm microphones, <clears throat> to collect the uh, reverberation sound, which created a spiral echo effect. It's really quite amazing sounding and very... Uh, uh, psychoacoustic in the same way that Paul Horn's recordings were in the 70s or ECM recordings if you're familiar with them right. uh, without the addition of mechanical reverb it's, it's a location recording and then oh, a couple yeah. of years I got the idea to pull out some master tapes and do a quick remaster and voila we have an amazing sounding record I oh, handed wow. this thing to Steve a little while ago and he couldn't tell our parts apart that, again that's the personal chemistry the two of us have right off the cuff we've got a whole album in one day in 24 mm. hours 11 songs wow Wow. Mm. See, and, I, and I, I know what you're talking about because I went to, recently I went to a winery out here called Silver Oak. Mm -hmm. And, they, you know, we did a tour, and in there where they had all the metal wine vats, the sound, mm -hmm. I mean, the, the, the sound was just phenomenal in there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It was phenomenal. And, um, I mean... I just couldn't imagine, you know, recording in there. Wow. Because it was so natural. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Uh, the, the comment that I heard, uh, the fellow from the Montreal Boire music magazine, B-O-I-R, commented on saying that the sound reminded him of floating in a warm bath. It's very pleasant wow. and very calming to listen to. Uh -oh. And again, it's, just, it's something that I do in order to create art that's the antidote for the harsh sounds of contemporary music mm -hmm. and the lack of any real spiritual message in a lot of it. Mm. You know, I hear, I hear a lot of materialism and a lot of ego, a lot of strutting about, but uh, the kind of music that really moves me has an emotional content. Mm -hmm. It's based on a spiritual notion of, has, of developing a higher consciousness. It's really about mm -hmm. self-realization. Wow. And uh, the chemistry and the community that occurs when master musicians get together with master technicians to mm -hmm. create an experience for the listener, take them on a journey, as it were. Mm -hmm. That's what I do. That's where I live. Right. And I still like taking hip-hop records. And like I say, I'm in the studio this week with uh, H. Ryder from Las Vegas. He just finished DJ Quick's record. I've got a jam band, Mole, coming in next month. So I, I have a pretty diverse musical diet here. I'm, I'm very pleased mm -hmm. to say I'm hanging on in the midst of the uh, economic uh, crisis we've been going through in the country. And again, I thank my creator, and I thank my ability to express myself mm. and use it for that. And to mentor mm -hmm. other musicians for me is very important. It's something I want to touch on during the conversation. Right, right. It and really you... is up to us, mm -hmm. as the people who are the leaders in this community, to help others to realize that there's a quality of music mm -hmm. that is a spiritual quality, an emotional, spiritual mm -hmm. quality in music. And that's what created the cultural revolution that occurred in the United States in the 60s, what they yeah. call the free love or the hippie movement or whatever. But that was the seed. Mm -hmm. of our modern music. And what it was based on, I'll just go through this real quick, what it was based on was an electrified amplification of the folk blues protest medium that occurred in the United States. And originally mm -hmm. some people in Britain just thought, oh, it's pretty cool, listen to these chess records, man, this is super soulful. Who the hell wants to listen to skiffle music? This mm -hmm. stuff is way better. And then mm -hmm. that became the sound of the revolution of music that occurred here in the 60s. There's entire consciousness, cultural, national, international, cosmic revolution that occurred there. We're still feeling the effects of it in every level of our society, despite mm -hmm. what the media tells you. Our music is all still based around the pentatonic scale <clears throat> and the use of uh, samples, for example, of uh, classic R&B and blues records, which were the source material for the um, folk blues protest medium that became known as rock and roll. Mm -hmm. So that's how I understand it. That's my historical viewpoint on it.
Wow. I'm sure fascinated mm-hmm. by music and the people that make it. I just have to tell you, I'm completely elevated and blown away by what you said today. I've been listening the whole time, biting my tongue. Mm. And this is what I have to say for myself. I, I hope you enjoy it. I also want to mention I have a new album out, a rock album with members of uh, Pink Floyd, including our friend Scott Page on sax. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, Remy Kabaka, the percussionist of the Rolling Stones. Yep. Bernard yep. Fowler, the vocalist. Mm. Uh, Leo Nelson Kelly from the Meters is on. Anyway, I made this Grant wow. Rapid call yeah, yeah. My, my rock and roll favors, and uh, my next door neighbor, a guy named Andy John, produced it and mixed it for us over at Ocean Way. That's cool. Wow. wow. <laughs> so, and then Andy died in April, but he's most known for his work with Led Zeppelin and the Rolling Stones. Oh, he my God. <laughs> cool, yeah. Wow. Yeah, but he was a person that mentored me and said, Harold, you are much more than a guitar player. You're wow. a cultural revolutionary. You're a consciousness-expanding kind of guy. You right. really believe in the power of music, and you need to help other people the way that I helped you. Right. And then in April, he died. Mm. So I'd like very much for you to have a listen, if you like, or contact me on Facebook, and I'll send you some copies. And, and who who, who, bought, who bought Ocean Way, by the way? Didn't, didn't Alan sell it recently? I don't know if Alan bought it or not. It's split into two, and now it's like Ocean Way, and then Cello is, is the Eastern Studio, the one managed by um, Candace Stewart, right. who's a friend right. of mine, her husband Brian and I are guitar buddies. Mm. Uh, right. So it's two right. separate studios. It used to be both was both uh, uh, Ocean Way. Wow. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I didn't know Alan bought it. I know Alan managed it for years and has, has the most incredible microphone collection in the world. Mm. Oh, yes, he does. Yep. Mm-hmm. 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 But I would very much like to hear more from you people, and I just have to tell you, I've learned so much. I'm, I'm going to... I'm going to... I'm absolutely going to, you know, have you. I'm going to, and I also want everyone to, you know, tell me what you want because, as I said, Daryl and I can facilitate things. We've got the platform. So, you know, we're here as your vessels also to help, you know, because I, I, I'm very much someone who wants to change things. I like to be a changer. I like to change the status quo. And, you know, that's what I feel I can do with this platform, you know, I can change the status quo and make, you know, affect people in a positive And just like you said, uh, Harold, uh, I should say how. And, you know, it's just amazing how we all came together. I, when I was at AIS and, and uh, the guys don't know, I met Rhonda in the bathroom. We were talking in the bathroom. <laughs> well, there's something about you, Elisa, that's very magnetic and very charming. People want to get to know you. Just, right. I took one look at you and I knew that you were the person I wanted to meet. Oh, we, one of the highlights of my IES week. You know, but, I played all five nights. With, I played all five nights of that festival in every conceivable circumstances. By the end of it, my feet were so sore I could barely stand up. But oh, I gave God. it everything. Oh, I gave God. it everything because I believe in Scott and I believe in IES uh, thing what they're trying to accomplish, and uh-huh. it just felt like I was found a place where I was very needed and fit in very well. And and you know so, what? Uh, I don't even know yeah, how I, I found time. out about it. It was just it landed in my lap, and I said, "I've got to be there." <laughs> <laughs> and and yep. so I went and I met the most phenomenal people who I'm sure have become friends for a lifetime, you know. So it's just, um, I'm 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 just like, you know, you got to go by your. In- Rhonda, if you want to say something before I let you go, so you were talking about unsung musicians. Yes, there's a new documentary. I don't know if it's out yet, but mm-hmm. there's a Facebook page. It's called The Girls in the Band about mm. female jazz musicians. And it mm. starts with the picture from a great day in Harlem. And one of the few women in the pictures, there were only three, Marion McPartland, mm-hmm. McPartland just died last week. Wow. And it's a fabulous documentary. Mm. You have to help pay for it. It's mm. amazing. Wow. So everybody should go see it. Absolutely. And, and thank you. I've had a ball. 
Mm-hmm. And this I'll, I'll be in. There's a documentary out um, by Lisa Fisher. She's a former background singer with Luther. In fact, she sang for the Stones. It's mm-hmm. called 20, 20 Feet from Stardom. Okay, 20 Feet from Stardom. Fabulous. 20 feet from stardom. <laughs> so that's okay. I love it. Three hours. That's beautiful. But you know what? It means that we've got something that people feel passionate about. So I'm, re- I'm really happy Absolutely. about that. Yeah. And so I'm going to let um, you go. Ronnie, if you've got anything you want to cap this off with, um, Ronnie? Well, like I said, it's stuff we could go on forever. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. mean, with the stories and... Well, you, All that goes on, right. you know, with the with the recording industry uh-huh. and behind the scenes, mm-hmm. it could go on forever. So we definitely need to something needs to be done mm-hmm. so guys can tell their story. My partner in this adventure, really, because Morgan, I don't know if you know, but you know, Morgan is really. Um, he sees my vision probably more than anyone, you know, and I, I just want to say, Morgan, thank you so much for, for supporting my vision, you know, because I... And it's, I and it's absolutely doable, so keep at it and we'll get you there. Yes, we will. We'll both get us both there, you know? right. Right. So, so, you know, I, I just, like, I, I've got, like, phenomenal people around me and, you know, I can't say enough. So at this point... I am going to say to everyone, au revoir, have a good night, and we will see you same time, same place next week, and we will be back with announcements about, you know, panels or things as a result of this panel. So I think that that sounds good, doesn't it? You think? Absolutely. Okay. So, everyone, au revoir. We love you. See you same time, same place next week. And thank you, Daryl Williams, WDKK Radio. Love you all for listening in. And yep, here we go. Yeah. Sure.